Welcome to the 112th episode of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on December 31st, 2018, the last day of 2018. Good riddance. I hope 2019 is better. Fingers crossed. Me? My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com. I'm also 50% of this here show. With me, as always, Corey Motley, staff writer at Game Critics and Man About Town. Corey, how are you doing, sir? <laughs> Man About Town. Um, we're on a motherfucking roll like toilet paper with recording on holidays. We recorded on Christmas Eve. Now we're recording on New Year's Eve. We had a show out on Christmas Day. Probably we'll have a show out on New Year's Day. I can't promise I'll edit this tonight, Whoa. but I'll try to. We'll see. Um, I got to make Michael happy because he was very happy about our Christmas Day show being out. So maybe he needs a New Year's Day show too. I saw that good friend of the show and wonderful Warframe guru, Michael Pren, uh, let us know that he was grateful that we had a show out on uh, the holiday. So that was awesome. Really glad that your efforts really paid off. You were <laughs> the one that really did the heavy lifting there. So thank you for doing that, sir. And uh, I'm very glad that... Our listeners, including Michael, were, were thrilled that we had something out there. So we aim to please. We will do our best. We'll see what happens. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess last day of 2018. Do you do those uh, New Year's resolutions? Are you that kind of guy? I'm not really. I mean, I've never really been one to, like, make one and or stick to it. I just kind of, like... Yeah, I'm the kind of person where I just, like, keep my head down and keep working, and I just kind of feel that way about going into the new year as well. I'm right with you. I actually never do resolutions, because I'm like, if I needed to do something, I would just do it anyway. Why the fuck would I wait until next year to do that if I thought it was worth doing? So, I don't do that. You don't do that. Fuck it. We're going to talk about games. Uh, but before we do that, just a quick reminder to everyone listening. Also, um, welcome to new listeners. If you are a new listener, thank you for joining us. Uh, but remember that our usual banter section comes after the show. Uh, we're going to talk about games now, but if you want to hear more from us that's not necessarily game-related, please stay tuned after the closing music. Stay, Just keep listening past that closing music, and you'll get like almost an hour of extra content. Not game-related, but uh, you know, if you want to get a little something else out of us, there you go. Also, one other quick note. The next episode, number 113, is going to be our Game of the Year show. The big one. The one we look forward to all year long. And we want to hear from you. We will be sharing our top 10, or as close as we come. Uh, but we want to know what you loved. And I also really want to know what you didn't. Corey, do you <laughs> want to know what they didn't love also? Do you want to know that? I do, because, okay, I was... I'm, I didn't even think about this, but I'm glad you brought it up because the other day I was looking, I was on Twitter. Every every story I ever tell in my entire life starts with the other day I was on Twitter. This is no exception. And I saw somebody tweeting, I'm not going to name names because I'm a professional, not really a professional guy here, but um, there was a, a an ex-games <laughs> journalist from a very big site the other day who was tweeting about how... Um, about how he really likes when people celebrate what they like every year and seeing top 10 lists and seeing all that stuff. And then he was talking about how he really hates when people do like the top 10 worst games or like the worst things they played because he thinks that you should just like celebrate the good stuff. And I agree with most of that. I think, um, I think it's a good idea to say, hey, here's 10 things I loved. You know, obviously we do it every year. We do our top 10. We talk about what we liked. Um, and, you know, I think maybe doing, like, a definitive top ten, here's what I hated, is maybe not the best way to go about it. But I do like to know 
what people don't like. Because um, here's my thing. Here's my thing. Okay. Here's my thing. If let's have it. Uh, so and this is and this is why. Okay. So I understand that there's an idea that like we only want to spread positivity and we only want to talk about the good stuff and we only want to talk about what we love and everything. And if you talk about stuff you didn't like, you know, you're just kind of like. You know, there's this idea that you're, like, being a downer and you're being critical and you're spreading negativity and blah, blah, blah and all this stuff. And I get it. I totally get people who only want to hear about the things they love and they only want to be celebrating good things. But here is what I don't like about only doing that. You get in situations, and you and I have both been in plenty of these situations, where you hear every single person on the planet say, here's video game X. Everybody loved it. It's everybody's game of the year. And then whenever you get around to playing it, you don't like it. And then, I mean, the two <laughs> the two I can think to that come to my mind immediately, God of War and Nier Automata. I, God of War was fine. Nier Automata, I hated. Every person on the fucking planet loved Nier Automata. And if, like, whenever I see a hundred people saying, I love a game... And I see one person saying, oh, it was fine, or oh, I didn't like it. I'm always way more interested in knowing what that person didn't like about it than listening to 100 people talk about how much they love something. So if we only have top 10 lists and only have people celebrating stuff, then it sets up a lot of people, you and I included, up for a big disappointment whenever we hear that God of War is winning Game of the Year on every game site ever, and then we finally get around to it because all we've heard is people say that it's the most amazing game ever created on the history of the planet. And then we both play it and we're like, yeah, it's like fine, but like, is it really game of the year status? So like, this is why I respect anybody who wants to do like a biggest disappointments of the year or games that they didn't like of the year, because I'm way more interested in hearing what people didn't like about something and being like critical and kind of like diving down on something rather than just being like, yeah, it was great. It was the most amazing thing I played. The end. Let's move on to the next thing I loved. Um, that. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, I think celebrating the good things is great, and nothing makes me happier than playing something good and sharing that knowledge and, and celebrating something that's well done. But if everything's great, then then nothing is great because you must have the good with the bad. You must have something to compare it to. You must have an example of this was something that didn't quite go right, and because this thing exists, therefore we can compare it to this other thing, and this other thing is way better because this thing does something different. You must have something to compare to. And, I mean, the basis of criticism is to help people get better or to, you know, show where something falls short so that it can be better in the future. It's not it's not like we're here to tear people down. Or I mean, I know games take a lot of time and effort. A lot of people put their heart and soul into them. You know, a lot of man hours, a lot of lifespan hours you're not going to get back. So it's not like we're trying to crab anybody down, but... I mean, the simple fact is some things are good, some things are bad, and it's fine to talk about both. Life includes both things. Life isn't just one fucking giant rainbow shooting out of your ass from the time you're born until the time you die. I mean, there's ups and downs. There's positives and negatives. And I think it's we just have to really uh, acknowledge those things, you know? And I think there's nothing wrong with that at all. So we're not going to do, like, a top ten worst games or anything like that. And, you know, we're not going to spend very much time on the Game of the Year show hating on things. Um... And I don't think that we hate in general. I think I think we're just very honest. And I think I think if most people were going to be really honest, I think a lot of people dislike just as many things as we dislike. They just don't talk about it. So uh, what we're going to do, folks, we're going to share our top 10. Uh, we want to hear your top three games. So tell us the three best things you liked in 2018 and tell us one thing that you thought was a stinker that was no good. Uh, you know, feel free to let us know why if you want to. You don't have to, but it's up to you. 
But if you want to participate, we will read your games on the show. We will give you a shout out. We will thank you very much. We really want all your feedback. So once again, please send us your top three games of 2018 and one that you thought sucked. <laughs> Sound fair, Corey? Sounds fair. All right. That's enough preamble. Sorry to keep you waiting so long. Let's get to what you game for the games chat. Corey, you're going to be leading this week with a... Boy, you know, we, we are living this motto of like, you know, something new, something old, anything in between. Castlevania, Symphony of the Night, and Rondo of Blood. I did not see this coming. I never in a million years would have guessed this was going to be on the agenda. How in the world did you come across these two gems and you played them? Like, what's going on? Talk to us about some, some CV. All right, well, I'm going to throw some even bigger curveballs your way because I know from our banter discussion that you love order, you love a schedule, you love everything coming together so nicely and being planned out, and you hate to be thrown <laughs> Oh, off. God, I'm getting stressed. I'm getting worried now. <laughs> so what I, what I came here to do is just throw a big, like, grenade of chaos into the schedule of our show, and I want to report that I actually don't want to talk about these games. I could say something very quick about Castlevania Symphony of the Night and Rondo of Blood. There's a two-pack. Hold on. I know. I know. There's, there's <laughs> a two-pack available on PS4 and Xbox One, and maybe PC. I don't know if it's on PC. It's not on Switch, but it fucking should be on Switch because there's nothing I'd rather do than play Symphony of the Night on the Switch, you sons of bitches, so put it over there. But it went on sale for um, the holiday gaming sale on PS4, the two-pack. I'd never played Rondo of Blood, so I wasn't really sure about it. But Symphony of the Night is a stone-cold classic. And, like, every time... It's one of those games, kind of like Resident Evil 4, where every time they re-release it on a platform, I just buy it. And I waited for it to go on sale. It was, like, 15 bucks, and I bought the double-pack, and I started playing Symphony of the Night. And lo and behold, no matter how many times I come back to it and think, is this game actually good? It is! Castlevania Symphony of the Night is a stone-cold <laughs> classic. It is amazing. The only thing... that My only complaint about it is that... Um, I don't want to spoil it because, like, there might be people out there who haven't played it yet, but there's, like, a big twist in the middle of the game should you be clever enough to find it out. And when you get to that twist from there on out, it's, like, a pretty high difficulty spike for, like, the rest of the game. And I always feel like I get to that part before I'm, like, properly leveled because you level up in the game, your strength, your defense, you get armor pieces, you get new swords, the, the whole shebang. I always feel like I get to that part of the game like kind of like earlier than I'm supposed to and I'm not quite leveled for it. And then every time I get to it, I just like die a bunch of times and then I stop playing it, which is like maybe my fault because maybe I shouldn't be so quick to like seek out that part of the game. But I mean, that difficulty curve aside, I'm here to say that it is still a Stone Cold Classic. It launched on the PlayStation 1. It is still amazing up to this day. It's on PlayStation 1, should you have it. It is on the PSP. Um, there is a version of Castlevania. I can't remember what it's called, but there's a Castlevania that's on PSP, and you can unlock Symphony of the Night within the game, play the entire game on PSP, and I do own it on PSP. And now it is on PS4 and Xbox One. So if you haven't played Castlevania Symphony of the Night, highly recommend it. Um, but, but that is actually not what I want to talk about today. Um, what I want to talk about real quick is another side-scrolling kind of hack-and-slashy kind of game. And I want to talk about this because it's fresh in my mind. I was just, if you listen to banter after the show, I talk about I flew home for Christmas and I flew back. That meant time on the planes, time in the airports. I took my Switch with me. It was the first time I've been able to travel and take my Switch, which was like kind of a neat thing, you know, in and of itself. 
Well, I got a game from Gamefly last week that I tested on the Switch while I was on the plane and I was in the airport and I was at home uh, with my mom at my mom's house and everything. I played for the first time, which is a game that I've had my eye on. Brad, I think you've played it, so we can discuss this a little bit. I played Salt and Sanctuary for the first time. Oh, God. Okay. It, wow. 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 I know. I'm surprised. Curveballs. I am curveballs. so... I am so okay. So not only are we completely going off script on the very first segment, which is in itself a giant curveball, but that's totally fine. I'm going to take a page from your book and I'm just going to roll with it. Um, so okay, I guess for people who maybe don't know, Salt and Sanctuary. I'll let you get into the details, but this was a, a very famous 2D platformer, Souls-like, which was directly, very directly inspired um, by Dark Souls. This was one of the very first. Souls likes to kind of hit uh, when that whole clutch of them came out. This is done from Ska Studios, who make um, it was like Charlie Murder or something like that, and uh, the Dishwasher, those kind of games. I I am stunned. I am beside <laughs> myself right here. I I literally, if you had asked me out of a thousand games which one you were going to play, I would never have picked this one. What in the world made you pick this, uh, Corey? This is this is not something I saw coming. Please please tell. Well, I had old, whenever it came out, because this game um, has been out for a few years now. It came out on PS4 and on Xbox One, like, uh, at least, like, two or three years ago. And, um, and I'd always, like, kind of had my eye on it. Like, I didn't think I would be into it, but I was just like, you know... I had heard some people compare it to Castlevania a little bit. I mean, obviously, like you said, it like whenever it came out, it was basically like, oh yeah, the 2D Dark Souls games. Like that, like it's kind of what it was billed as when everybody kind of took and ran with. But you know, it's like slightly Castlevania in like the the 2D side scrolling, kind of like melee combat situation. And so, like, and I could never get into the Souls games. I tried Demon Souls. I couldn't get into it. I think I tried Dark Souls 2. I couldn't get into it. I tried Bloodborne. Try as I might. And I, I know those games aren't for me, but I've tried a few times that I just can't get into them. They just demand, they demand too much. They demand more than I'm willing to give to them, and I just don't want to play them. So I thought, okay, maybe I'll try the next best thing. I don't know if this is the next best thing, but um, Salt and Sanctuary. And the real thing here is that I didn't have anything on my Gamefly list. Uh, like, I literally had nothing on my Gamefly queue, so I just, like, scrolled through the Switch games and looked for stuff that had been coming out on Switch because stuff has been getting ported to Switch left and right from, like, you know, a couple years ago, and this is a perfect example. Um, Salt and Sanctuary came to Switch, so I just got it on Gamefly, and I was like, okay, this is the perfect, the perfect opportunity to try it. So that is how I came to play this game. I got it on Gamefly because not because I was super duper like itching to play it because if I had been, I would have played it years ago on the PS4. Um, but I got it on Switch. I started it on the plane on the way to Kansas City. And something that I didn't re quite realize about this game is that it is absolutely beautiful. Like I didn't realize how good looking it was going to be. I thought it was going to be like kind of like sprite-based, like Castlevania-looking stuff, but it's like, it looks kind of like Mark of the Ninja. It's so beautiful, and even though it's kind of like grim and kind of gray and kind of dingy-looking, it just, like, the animations are really beautiful. Your little character moving across the screen and, like, his his melee swings and his attacks and, like, the way enemies move, like, everything looks kind of like a painting come to life. It's really, really gorgeous, and I really kind of wasn't prepared for that, and it looks so nice. Um, on the Switch. It's just really beautiful. And so I was playing it on the plane, and when I started it up, um, it 
you know, it, I started a new game, and it's like, okay, you can design your own character. And I was like, oh, cool. I didn't know this was a thing. Even though the character design isn't much, you pick, like, a hair color and an eye color and, like, a beard if you want. And then you get to choose your class. And this is when the first alarm bell started going off, whenever it asks you to pick the class. And I know that people who play the Souls games or any game that has these class systems is familiar with this kind of stuff, but I'm not. So it's like... You have, like, the soldier class and the thief class and the, I don't know, whatever. Like, there's, like, six or seven of them. I have no clue what they do. The game does not tell you what they do. It's just, like, pick a class. And whenever you hover over one, it kind of shows what your character model will look like in that class, whether it's, like, you know, they have, like, a big sword or, like, two small swords or a shield and a sword or something, and they have, like, different kinds of armor. But the game, to my knowledge, did not tell me what each class meant. So I think I chose the thief class and i really don't have any justification behind that maybe the character model looked cool so i started playing it the game does not really tutorialize anything that well so like i jump in and i like kind of don't really know what i'm doing it takes like several minutes for the game to even tell you like what each button does and i'm the kind of person where i'm totally okay with skippable tutorials but i want the game to tell me what at least what each button does because i'm not the kind of person that jumps into a game and just immediately presses every button and to see what it does i want the game to say hey the a button is attack B is jump, Y is, I don't know, a special weapon or something. Because the last thing I want to do is, like, press a button and it accidentally makes me, like, throw a grenade. And then, like, I waste a grenade. And then I accidentally blow myself up or something like that. This game is kind of guilty of that. It doesn't really tell you what the game does for a little while. But it was beautiful, so I ran with it. Um, about 20 minutes in, I get to the first boss. And he kills me in, like, two hits. And I'm like, oh. Like, I thought, like, I suspected that's what kind of game this is going to be, but, like, okay, so, like, this is what, this is what we're doing. Okay, Salt and Sanctuary, I get it. And then, like, you use salt to, like, level up or whatever, and when you die, it's like, oh, you lost your soul to go back to the boss and kill him to get it. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, okay, this is what we're doing. So, in, in kind of a roguelike almost fashion, you, like, restart at the checkpoint. You have to go back through the level, get to the boss. I get back to the boss. I do, like, a little bit better but he kills me in like four hits and I only have like half of his life bar down. And then it's like, oh, you're, you lost all your souls because you died twice. And I'm like, really? Like what? So like I do it again and basically the same thing happens. I get back to the boss and I die in like three or four hits. I'm like trying to use grenades and sub weapons and healing potions. Like I'm getting like smarter about the way I'm playing, but still I just feel like I don't stand a chance against this dude. So I die again. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna play this game anymore. But last night I got home and I put it on the TV because I got home, I have the big TV, I like docked it and I was like, well maybe if I play it on the TV with a controller because Patrick bought a wired pro controller, I was like, maybe this will be better because it'll be like on the TV, I'll have a better controller. So <laughs> I play through it, I play through the level again and I get to the first, but the first boss, I cannot make this any clearer, the first boss of the game. I get back up to the first boss and I like, I don't do any better and I die in like four hits again and I'm like, no, no, salt and, no, salt and sanctuary. I'm not, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to play this. So I stopped, and despite the fact that the game is beautiful, despite the fact that the animations are gorgeous, that the art style is gorgeous, I, I suspected I might not like this game, and I was totally right because I'm not, I'm not going to do this, get to a boss, die in two hits, and then beat your head against the wall until you somehow beat the boss by, like, sheer luck of like fighting it just feels like the strategy is not enough and i know i'm not good enough to play this game i know i'm not smart enough i know i'm not tactile enough and i mean the game just 
and it just proves all of that to me. Like if it had, I know God forbid they put this in, but if it had like an easy mode, maybe I would be more interested in playing it. But this is kind of one of those games that like is like, hey, we're not going to tell you anything and you're going to die a bunch and you can go fuck yourself. And to which I replied, no, you can go fuck yourself and I'm <laughs> not going to play this game anymore. Oh my God, Brad. <laughs> I just couldn't be more surprised about this whole <laughs> turn of events. I'm still in shock. I'm still in shock. Um, I I hate this game. I really hate this game. Uh, so so first off, let me just say, before I say anything else, I have nothing personal against Ska Studios. I don't know these people. I've never communicated with them. We have no relationship. I'm sure they are very lovely human beings. I, this is not a personal attack whatsoever. Like this is not. Please don't anybody think I'm coming after him. I have no. I have no axe to grind against them in a personal way. Uh, but I hate all their games. I <laughs> I hate all their games. I think they're all terrible. I'm surprised to hear you think it's beautiful because I think this game looks awful. I hate oh, the way it looks. I thought it was. I, I thought it was nice. I I I I was so confused when you said it was beautiful. I went to YouTube when you were talking because I'm like, well, mate, did they did they change the graphics when I was not looking? Is there a different version of? No, it looks the same. I I mean, if you like it, that's fine. I'm not critiquing your taste, but I think it looks terrible. I don't like the way it looks at all. And I hated this game. I hate the way it plays. I hate the systems. I hate the way they tried to interpret, in a very very literal sense, the systems of Dark Souls into a 2D platformer. I fucking hate this game like it's way too hard it's too obtuse it's too unfriendly i don't think the mechanics work very well i don't think that i just i just don't like the work the studio does again not personal i just can't stand any other games and i feel like this is just a really shitty game and i don't like it at all i can't stand it i have nothing good to say about it at all so i'm i just i'm stunned that you played it so i'm not surprised to hear that you bounce right off of it um because when i played i mean i am a souls guy or at least i used to be i'm kind of over the whole thing now but you know i've played all the souls games i've i've played bloodborne i've i spent my time in that in that part of the world i've done all that stuff so i can speak with authority and i can say that i really dislike how this game interprets those systems i don't think it's good and i don't think it's a very well done piece of work if you're interested in something like this which again i'm surprised if you would be but if you really want to play something of this nature i would totally put Hollow Knight way ahead of um, Salt and Sanctuary. Like, I mean, if you wanted to do that to yourself, I don't know that you do, but if you want a 2D side-scroller, which has truly gorgeous graphics, like wonderful animation, and systems that on the whole work better than they do in Salt and Sanctuary. I'm not saying Hollow Knight is perfect, because it's not, but in general, it works way better, looks better, controls better, has a better head on its shoulders. <laughs> I would put Hollow Knight way, way, way at the front of the pack. And I would put Salt and Sanctuary like not even on my list. I would never recommend it to anybody. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you I, the word you said that really struck me was unfriendly because this game is incredibly unfriendly and super unfriendly. I'm, I mean, and you know, I don't know what got into my head. Maybe I think, oh, I've been playing too many walking sims lately. Maybe I think I've been playing too many VR games lately. And just like I don't know, every once in a while, there's I try to step out of my comfort zone a little bit, try something new, and and, and you know bless my soul i know my tastes so every time i do it i'm like you know i don't think i'm gonna like this game and every fucking time i don't like the game so 
I mean, I try, I have to, you know, give myself a little bit of credit for at least trying here and trying to, like, play something a little bit new and trying to, like, step out a little bit from my, you know, walking sim and stealthy first-person shooter and Hitman, you know, and VR, uh, you know, tent that I lay under for video games. But I tried it, and I didn't like it, and I I still think the game's beautiful. Um, I think it looks nice. Um, I just, it's just, it's unfriendly. Just like you said, it's unfriendly. I wish the game would tell you what the classes are. Like, would it be that hard to give me, like, a hint on what the classes do? Do the classes even matter? I don't know. The game doesn't tell me. So I just don't... I, I'm, ne I'm never going to play this again. I'm going to send it back to Gamefly, and I'm, I'm happy for all the people that like it, but I am not one of them. Just to, just to talk about that for just one second. I mean, I totally agree with you. I don't, I don't think this is a great game. I don't recommend it to anybody. But, you know, when, when Souls did that whole thing, <clears throat> excuse me, of, like, not explaining things and keeping things cryptic. Even when it came down to um, some of the mechanics, I mean, people forget that the Souls games actually give you a pretty thorough tutorial at the beginning. And I think that people just like forget that those exist. <laughs> um, I mean, they just tell you like, here, what are, here's what the buttons do. Here's how you get your life back. Here's what you do at the bonfire. Like they tell you that shit. Like they don't, they don't tell you nothing. And I think a lot of games just like get the wrong message or they just simply forget that there is a tutorial and they go, we're not going to tell you anything. And like, you know, Souls can get away with that because they kind of started that shit. Um, even before Souls, they started that shit with like Kingsfield and all that stuff back in the day. So they kind of own that and that's fine. But when other people come down the pike afterwards and they try to like bite on that, I'm like, man, don't like, don't like it doesn't work for you. You just seem like a fucking piss ant when you do it because you're just you're copying something that somebody else did and you're not doing it as well and you're not even doing it in the right way. So it's like, it, it's really irritating to me when people try to copy the form of a Souls game and they don't get it right. And I mean, honestly, to be fucking honest with you, I think even towards the end of its life, I think Souls kind of forgot what it was doing. Like, it's, it didn't <laughs> stay good all the way through. So it's not like that series is perfect. I'm not saying that in any sense, but like, I don't know, man. Just don't, don't copy shit. Just, you know, monkey see, monkey do is kind of how I feel like a lot of developers are taking those lessons. And it just doesn't fucking work. So anyway, uh, I have zero affection for that game. I don't recommend it. If you want to try Hollow Knight, I think it'll be an overall better experience than what you found in Salt and Sanctuary. Although it will still be intensely Souls-like. And it is still fairly unfriendly on a certain level. But I think it's a better experience. So maybe chew on that if you want to. If you never try Hollow Knight, that's totally fine. I wouldn't blame <laughs> you at all. I don't think I would even recommend it to you except for you said this. And now I think you need to play something better. But... Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. So, uh, okay, any final thoughts or should we move on? We, I could never be happier to move on from a game, so let's move on. Okay, cool. I just want to do a really quick check-in on Subnautica. Uh, we talked about it last episode. I was over the moon about it, and I really, really, really wanted to finish it before the show because I wanted to do a wrap-up and just say, hey, roll credits, and it was great all the way through. Unfortunately, I did hit a problem in the oh, late game no. that I felt was necessary. Now, I still like the game. I'm not, I, I didn't do a 180 on it. I still think this game is amazing. The first, I mean, like literally the first 25 hours, awesome all the way through. Just enjoyed every minute of it. I thought it was great. I just, I mean, love the systems, love the graphics. Um, for people who didn't hear last episode, Subnautica is a, I mean, I, I feel kind of weird calling it an open world game, but I guess it sort of is an open world game, an open undersea game where you are a sole survivor of a spaceship that crashes on a water planet and you have a little life pod that comes with a fabrication machine. And so what you do is you swim around in the water and you gather raw materials, you feed them to the fabricator. The fabricator makes 
things for you. It makes you a diving suit, makes you an air tank, makes you... Uh, eventually you can make yourself a little undersea house and other various things, and you do have to get off the planet. There is a story, there is twists in the narrative, there are certain things that happen. It's not just a Minecraft game. It's like there is a, a campaign to it, and there's there's elements to it. It's a wonderful, wonderful experience. Um, I loved everything about it when I talked about it on the show last time. I still love it. But I will say that I did hit a problem. Um, so I'm going through the game... And I feel like I'm getting close to the end of the campaign. And I'm really hesitating to say anything because I feel like a lot of the joy of this game is the discovery of how things unfold. And a lot of it is really clever. I really like it a lot. But I mean, I don't think it's much of a surprise to say that if you are a, are a, a stranded survivor, you want to get off the planet. You need to find a way to get off the planet. You will eventually figure out how to get off the planet. But you can't do it right away. Like there's a couple steps before that. And then once you figure out what you got to do, you execute and then eventually you'll get yourself off the planet. So I figured out what to do. And please, again, excuse me for being so vague. I figured out what to do. I took a couple steps. I got close to getting off the planet. I'm like, okay, wait, there's like two more things I need to do. That's fine. And then what happens is up until this point in Subnautica, you're basically free to just search the ocean floor, swim in any direction that you want to. I mean, I can't even tell you exactly how big the world is because I'm not sure that I've even bumped up against the edges of the end of the world, but I've been swimming around, swim in the shallows, swim in the deep. There's some undersea caves. There's coral reefs. There's all sorts of stuff. I'm swimming around. It's basically self-directed, which is fine. Um, you can find things pretty easily. Um, you know, you need to get various metals and minerals and gems and stuff, you know, whatever stuff your, your fabricator needs. So you can find that stuff uh, not, too, not too difficult. But then when you get to the end of the campaign, like I said, I'm getting ready to, to get off the planet. The game needs you to, A, find a couple of very specific locations. Um, so like I said, up until this point, kind of just going wherever I feel like it, self-directed, just exploring as I, as I you know, whatever I feel like. But then you got to find a very specific place. And I had no idea where that place was at all. And so I'm like, okay, the game gives you... Like, like one clue, which I guess is a thing. It's a, you know, you get a clue, but it's really, really vague. And I tried for a while to figure out where it was. Couldn't figure it out. Swimming in circles. I mean, I'm just, I'm just like doing laps in the ocean, dude. I have no idea where the fuck it is. Like, I just I have no clue. So I was starting to get a little bit frustrated with that because I didn't know where to go. The second thing was like, you need to make one very specific thing in your fabricator and you need a very specific ingredient again, had no fucking clue where it was. Because up until this point, I'm just collecting things as I go, finding a wealth of things in the bottom of the sea, no problem. Had plenty of surplus back in my base. But then you need this one thing. You gotta find this one specific place at the bottom of the ocean somewhere. And you gotta find this one specific thing, which I have no fucking clue where it's at. And so I'm searching and searching. I mean, it's just, it's just random searching. I mean, Maybe people had stumbled across it. Maybe they got lucky and just found it. You know, I mean, I guess that's possible if you were just a really thorough explorer and you combed every inch of the game. I'm sure maybe some people just found it naturally. I'm sure that's possible. I did not find it. I had no idea which direction, north, south, east, west. Where should I go? Where is it deep? Is it shallow? Is it hidden somewhere? I have no idea. So I'm searching and searching and searching and searching and searching. And I just start to get really frustrated because... I've been humming along for like literally 25 hours of just like gaming awesomeness, just loving every minute. And then it all comes to a screeching halt because I just don't know where to go and I don't know what to do. So I got a little frustrated that the developers 
chose to do this because, I mean, there's many ways they could have fixed this. At certain points in the game, they do give you some very obvious hints. Sometimes you'll get a beacon that will just pop up on your map and they'll tell you exactly where to go. That did not happen here. Sometimes they will give you some very specific clues and they'll be like, oh, it's west of this landmark and then it's below this other landmark and that's pretty good. They did not give you that here. They just told you one very general thing, which was for me was not enough information. And I just felt like I just had no way to progress the story. And that's one of my least favorite things in any game is when you just, you don't know what to do to keep progressing. And when I, when I lose that momentum, I really let a lot of the helium out of my balloon. I was like, man, this game was so good and so tight and it was so strong. And I just, I just hit that brick wall. I couldn't do it. So I emailed the developers and I'm like, Hey, so like, what's up with you guys? Like this game is so awesome up until this point. Why did you guys do this? Like what? And I'm like, maybe am I missing something? Like, did you guys actually put in a clue that I just didn't see? Or am I not understanding something? Because it's weird to me that they would just have this giant brick wall to get over. And they're like, nope. When I mean, we put a little clues in there and I knew what they were talking about, that wasn't enough for me. And they're like, we just figured you'd find it and get there. And I'm like, okay, totally didn't happen for me <laughs> at all. Um, I think you guys are kind of like overestimating how easy this is to find because I, I, no clue, zero clue. So I hated to do it, but I jumped on YouTube because I needed to find out where this thing was because I want to finish this game. I enjoy this game. I think this game is great, dude. Even despite this brick wall, I still think this game is great and I love it and I really want to finish it. I'm disappointed. I definitely am disappointed because I don't like going to YouTube takes away from the game for me if I have to, but I have to. And this game has been through so many revisions. Um, I think it's like in its third or fourth year of early access. I mean, it's a full release now, but it's been in early access for like three or four years. It's been through so many versions that like half the videos on YouTube are not accurate anymore. Oh, so like I go to, I, didn't I go to think look at them. That. Yeah, like one of them's from like the original build. That's totally not applicable. One of them is from before the game even had a campaign, so that's not applicable. One of them is showing me a location, and I go there, and it's totally not there, so that's not applicable. When this other guy told me to do this one thing, and I did that thing, and it totally didn't work, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, what is it going to take for me to finish this fucking game? I love this game, <laughs> but I'm starting to like love this game less because I'm getting super, super frustrated. So that's where I left it. Um, I got to that point of frustration, and life got busy, the holidays happened, you know, family happened, Christmas happened, and I just haven't really been able to get back to it yet. So I was really winning, wishing that I could say that I finished it and I had a great time all the way through. And I do, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not bashing this game. I love this game. I think this game is like 90% awesome. But this late game thing was a real disappointment. I'm, I'm really disappointed. And it really did take a lot of the shine off it for me. So I need to keep doing some more trolling on YouTube. I got to find somebody who has covered the most recent version. And then hopefully they can help me find what I'm looking for because I'm just really hopelessly lost. And being hopelessly lost is one of my least favorite things in any game ever. So a little bit of a sour cherry at the end of Subnautica, but I still like it a lot. Still going to finish it. Still think it's great. I just, I kind of question their choices at the end. And I think they maybe should have been a little bit more specific about where you need to go and where you get that thing that you need. So that's kind of where I left it. I still haven't. I I downloaded this game true to my word after our last show because it was free on the Epic Store. I still haven't tried it yet, but I still want to try it. And I I mean, considering our game of the year show is going to be in a week, I'm not sure if I'll have time to like play all of it in a week. But if I get down with it as much as you did, I would like to see if I like if like maybe the stuff is 
like if either I fall where you do on it, where like I like it and then I get to a point where I'm like, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to find this thing. Or if I'm like, oh, of course, this thing is over here. And then I just like, because, you know, sometimes things just work out differently for people, especially in games like this, where you're free to explore wherever you want to explore. Um, So, I mean, I hope, I really just need to like shut up and like start playing the game um, that I'll get, that I'll play it. And that if, you know, if I enjoyed it a much to play it for like 20 to 30 hours or what have you to get toward the end um, to see how it kind of shakes out for me. You should play it. I mean, even if you don't, get down with it all the way i think the first couple of hours will be just like really magical and awesome i mean i i'm only imagining what it would be like in vr i mean i think it's great flat so i can only imagine that if you felt like you were underwater swimming around in the coral reefs and stuff it would be tremendous um and i mean like i said the first 25 hours golden dude golden i loved every minute of it no problem at all like just swimming along doing things and building my base and being happy and you know just i mean just good good times dude good times it's only like this very very 11th hour la- I mean it almost feels like I don't know I, it kind of feels like kind of like a skill check or something almost like the developers like hey were you paying attention for the last 20 hours <laughs> or maybe you know there's not really any combat in this game but it, it almost feels like the equivalent of like a quote unquote like a boss level where it's like can you find this thing can you make this thing if you can't well this is your boss battle but I mean there's no real boss battle I mean there's no there's no fighting or anything so it kind of feels like they wanted to give you that last little boss fight flavor before they let you go, which I think was kind of a bad idea. So check it out. I mean, and of course, like you said, I mean, you could swim in one particular direction that I never did. Maybe you would find the thing that I never found. Maybe you would get there. Who knows? I mean, clearly people have finished the game. It's not impossible. Maybe I've just got bad luck. I mean, I don't. who knows what, dude. But I mean, for something that's required... I feel like they should be more specific because that's what you have to do to finish the game. I mean, there's a bunch of optional stuff that you don't need to find. And if you find it or you don't, no big deal. I don't really care about that. There's a bunch of things that I can't make because I haven't found the blueprints. I don't care because it's not required. Not a big deal. But if, if it's about rolling credits, if it's about getting you to the end and it is something that you have to do, I feel like that should be surfaced a little bit more. So... Uh, get into it, you know, play it for a couple hours, see what you think. I mean, even if you don't like it, I think that you'll be impressed by just the, the, the underwater aspect of it. But I do still think this is a great game. I don't like this particular bit at the very end, but otherwise great. I'm still loving on it. So I will finish it uh, after we get done with the podcast and I get done with some stuff today. I'm going to really focus hard tonight and tomorrow and I really want to get it knocked out. So we'll see what happens. So that's all I have to say on Subnautica. Now, Corey, on the script, we had another, we had like question mark slotted. Did you throw your curveball already or do you have a second curveball in store for me? I have double curveballs. Double curveballs. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. All right. I, folks, I have literally no idea what Corey's going to talk about. I, question marks on the script, literally. Corey, Corey Motley, what is your second curveball? You're, you're going to be, I think you're going to be really pleased about this too because we'll be able to discuss okay. this a little okay. bit. Um, so, courtesy of, also traveling and also having my Switch and also being able to play other games uh, on the road and, or I guess in the air, not so much on the road. Um, 
and stuff. Uh, there's also another Switch game that I tried. Uh, this is kind of an early impressions kind of deal, um, but I tried a game that I believe you are very fond of. Uh, I've spent a couple of hours with the Count Lucanor on Switch. Oh, I love the Count Lucanor. Oh my goodness. Okay, I'm not gonna say anything. Why don't you give us the setup and then just just tell us what you think and then we'll get into it. Okay, so the Count Lucanor. Um, correct me if I'm wrong at the end of any of this preface is a it's kind of it's set up um kind of pixel based if you will kind of retro looking graphics looks uh looks and controls similar to like zelda like an old school zelda kind of same camera angle same sort of like movement patterns kind of left right up and down over the world and you play as a 10 year old boy named hans and he on his 10th birthday i mean this takes place like in, i don't know like olden times if you will kind of like a very fairy tale like setting and um on his 10th birthday, he decides that he is a grown-ass man, and he's going to move out of his house. Um, <laughs> I love that shit. It is so good. <laughs> so he, like, gets in, like, a little argument with his mom, and he's like, I'm 10 years old. I want to go on adventures. I want to move out. And um, and and to be uh, to, to describe it a little bit, like, the, it's one of those games where, like, you read the text at the bottom, and it has, like, a picture of the person on the left or right-hand side, and then you, like, read the text. So it's not, like, all-out voice acting and everything. And... And so his mom is like, okay, I don't want you to do this, but, you know, there's not really anything I can do to stop you. Like, here's a few coins to take on your journey. Like, have fun, basically. Um, maybe she's a smart mom thinking that he's going to, like, take it back and come back home after two hours after being scared in the wilderness. I'm not sure. So you take control of him and you go on your adventure and um, you kind of, like, walk through the world. And before long, you stumble upon a castle. Um, I guess it's a castle. And there's, like, this there's like this weird i don't know it's it's like the game starts out very fairy tale like and very kind of bright and sunshiny and then like 30 minutes in like shit gets weird and there's like these murderous like goats chasing you like across this bloody river and it's weird and then you find this thing i don't even know what it's called it's like a jester looking dude and he like floats and he looks kind of like a vampire and you like follow him back to this castle and he's like, oh, there's a count here in the castle. And he's trying to find a new, um, like, I guess, like, successor to the throne. And he's rich and he has all this gold and blah, blah, blah. And so you, Hans, being the 10-year-old, uh, you know, put on his big boy pants adventurer that you are, say, yeah, I'm going to take I'm gonna take over this castle. I'm going to be the successor to the throne. I'm going to solve these puzzles and I'm going to be rich. Because um, what else could you want as a 10-year-old boy? And so the, like, vampire floaty dude says, like, okay, well, in order to pass the first test, you have to guess my name. And I won't, I won't tell you, you know, but there's clues in the castle. So the beginning slice of the game, and I have no idea how long this game is, so I'm just going to kind of, like, describe up to what I've been playing. Um, the first, like, areas of the castle, it's dark and you have candles to light your way. And you can, like, set candles down to keep, like, that area lit. And you basically get different keys to go into different color-coordinated doors. There's, like, a blue key, a green, a red, and a gold key. Um, and there's, like, a central area with a fountain and a crow. And you can, like, throw a coin in the fountain to save your soul. I'm still not 100% sure what that means because, like Salt and Sanctuary, the game doesn't really tell you what it's doing, um, which is a little bit frustrating. And so, basically, you, like, go into each dungeon room with each key. Um, usually, there's some kind of, like death-defying puzzle in them and then you have to open a chest and you get a letter of the name there's a room another room in the middle of the castle that has all the letters um in the room and you're supposed to like line them up i guess when you get all of them to guess the guy's name 
I don't know. I'm probably like 2% into this game because I have no idea how far I am. But you meet some people in the castle. Uh, there's a woman named like Julia, I think, and she's like a treasure hunter. And so he decides that he wants to be a treasure hunter and kind of wants to side with her. So she takes him under her wing a little bit. Um, the thing that uh, I thought was kind of irritating is that on the way to the castle at the beginning of the game, I met like a merchant whose uh, like merchant caravan thing had like broken. And he was like, oh, how I'm so sad, blah, blah, blah. How am I going to deliver my goods? Can you spare any coin? And I was like, no, I'm not going to give you any coin because I don't even know who you are. So then I get back to the middle of the castle and he makes it to the castle and he's like, oh, well, I have wares for sale, but because you didn't give me any coin, I'm going to make them more expensive for you. And I was like, okay, fair enough. Like, I get it. I, I, did, I did you dirty and now you're going to make me pay more for stuff. But then <laughs> there's like... There's, like, two other people in the courtyard. There's, like, this old lady, and she's like, Oh, it's so nice to see you. I have a key. Um, but because you didn't let me use your cane earlier, like, I'm not going to give you this thing. And, like, I didn't even see her earlier in the game. So I'm like, bitch, what? Like, I didn't even see you earlier. So how are you going to be mad about me not giving you my cane when I didn't even see you? And then, like, the same thing happened with another dude. There was, like, a guy who I can't even remember. There's, like, another person in the courtyard, and he's like, oh, well, because you didn't give me cheese earlier, I'm not going to give you this thing. And I was like, I didn't even see you earlier. Like, what are you talking about? The only guy I saw was the merchant. So it's, like, annoying that the game lets you, like, miss these people, and then it, like, punishes you for, like, not giving them a thing when you didn't even see them. Like, they're talking to you about this, like, thing that didn't even happen. So that was kind of annoying. Um, and so I got to a point where there's, like, this fire dungeon room, which is, like, really dangerous, and you have to, like, run through these, like flaming pits that are like they like are on fire and then they're not and you have to like you know run through them whenever they're not on fire and i like died and then i like went and explored the castle some more and then i went back to the fire room and i died again and whenever i died like you have the option to like load your soul or continue and because the game doesn't tell you what that means i would hit i hit continue and so I hit continue, and I lost, like, 30 minutes of progress. And I guess if you do, like, the save soul one or whatever, or, like, the load soul, it maybe, like, respawns you right there or something. If the game were more transparent, I would feel better about this. But uh, I hit continue, and I lost, like, 30 minutes of progress. And I was like, um, okay, I'm going to turn this off. Because, like, I didn't, I was, like, not oh, no. cool with, like, losing that much progress. And if the game, like told you what it meant instead of being cryptic i'd feel a little bit better about it but it might sound like i'm super down on this game and i'm like a little bit down on the game but it's like one of those games that there's just like really like weird stuff going on and i remember you talking about this whenever you brought it up a while ago about how there's just like it's like a night like an it kind of the game kind of like dives into like this weird like nightmare unsettling territory and like there's one room in particular where you walk in and usually in the room there's like two chests and one has like a, the letter for the name and one has like a piece of cheese or bread or something. But you walk in one room and there's like 50 chests in it. I'm trying to figure out which one is the right one to open. And I like open one and I like turn around to leave the room and there's this like thing in the room with me. And I like, I and it's one of those games where like you never know what is gonna be friendly to you and what's gonna try to like kill you on the spot. And so I see this, like, jestery-looking dude with this big hat, and I immediately am, like, terrified. So I, like, try to walk around and, like, get around him. And you can hide under tables in the game. So there's, like, a big, like, dining room table in the middle of the room. And as soon as I cry, because I'm like, oh, I'll be smart about this. I'm going to climb under the table, and I'm going to get away from him. As soon as I climb under the table, a text box comes up, and he's like, oh, little boy, you're hiding under the table. And I was like, oh, my God, who knows? I'm a 
under the table. And he's like, he's like bleeding from like his face and like his mouth. And he just looks really scary. And luckily I was able to get out of the room, but it's just like the game does weird stuff like that where it's like, you don't know what is dangerous and what is not. And I, I like that about it because like, it, it, it like rides the line pretty well of like, is this thing going to kill me or is it going to talk to me or like be helpful? And you like kind of never really know what you're getting yourself into. So I like, I kind of like what it's doing. I wish that that's a really general stupid complaint is that I wish that Hans moved faster. He walks really slow and there's no run button. And so like on the way to the castle at the beginning of the game, I was incredibly bored because he walks so slow getting through like these fields and these areas um, and I wish that the game were a little more transparent about telling you about like its saving and loading system or whatever the system it has going on because it's not very transparent about it. But um, I mean, I don't know. So far, it's like, okay. I'm not sure if it's going to be my jam. It's also one of those games like we talked about a while ago where it doesn't set up a good pacing for you. Like it's one of those games that I'm like, okay, is this game two hours long or is it like 30 hours long? Because I have no idea how long it could be. And if it's going to be like super long i'm not really going to be interested in playing it that long unless it gets like substantially better um so yeah that's kind of how i feel about it after a couple of hours so a couple things first off um saving your soul is saving your game so when you want to save your game just throw a coin into the fountain and it'll save at that particular point um i don't know if they mention it somehow or not but i, I mean i must have figured it out pretty quickly if they don't but the, the tension in that game, one of the many tensions in that game, is that coins are really limited. And so it's up to you. It's kind of like a gamble. Like, you know, like, how much danger do I feel like I'm in? Do I feel like I can maybe play for a little bit longer and, and conserve my coins? Because, like, once you're out, you're out. And if you spend your coins, there are definitely certain things that you will not be able to buy. So, I mean, you can... Like, like, there is only a certain number of coins in the entire game. And so, like, it's up to you. There's enough to buy everything and save multiple times. But if you're really unprudent with your saving, you can get into a situation where it's like, oh, I'm not, I, there is simply is no more money to buy this thing that I want or need. And therefore, it'll put you on a different path in the story. So you will never not be able to finish the game, but you may get, like, the worst ending because you didn't manage your money very well. So that's one of the different one one of the, the tensions in the game. Um, I think also, I will say that this game is a short game. I think it's probably five or six hours long. It's not that long, so you know you can probably get through most of it pretty quickly if you don't get too stuck. And what I like about this game is kind of what you touched on. Like it does feel like this kind of like fevered nightmare after a while, where you get into it and it seems like a fairy tale, very Zelda like. But then when you start talking to people. And you realize that your actions have a lot of consequences. Like, literally every action that you do in that game affects something else. And they don't tell you that right away. Like, you find out naturally, like you said, you know, maybe not giving that guy the coin or whatever. And then you meeting up with him later on. It's weird that you did not encounter those people. I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense that maybe you missed them or maybe you just didn't help them when they needed help. And so the game has a lot of triggers like that where there's somebody that you can talk to and you're not sure, are they going to kill me? Are they going to help me? Are they safe? Are they not safe? Um, so, I mean, I, I mean, I, that didn't happen to me. So that sounds kind of weird. Maybe they should have done that in a different way. I mean, I think I met almost everybody in that game except for one person. And so it all seemed to kind of come together for me, but I can understand where you're coming from on that. Uh, but you know, like who you choose to help, what you choose to do, who you choose to kill or not kill, what you choose to steal or not steal, um, et cetera, et cetera. Like everything, 
in that game connects to everything else. And even if it doesn't seem like it at first, or even it seems like it's like a no big deal, this couldn't possibly be very significant. Like everything in that game is significant. And that's really kind of the beauty of it is because there's this whole like interconnected web of events and triggers that happen underneath the surface. And it seems like you're just this kid running around in a castle, but like, like the game is like watching all your movements and it's watching everything that you do. And when you get to the end and you realize, Oh my God, I didn't realize like that thing that I did. Holy <laughs> shit. That came back. And Oh my God. You know, like it has dozens of those moments, which I really, really like. Um, so I like that a lot. It's way more complicated and sophisticated than it seems. Um, and you just, you just won't know until you get to the end. I mean, I didn't know myself either until I got there and I'm like, wow, I was really, really impressed. But also I just really like, like the darkness of this game. This game is dark. It's really dark. Um, it seems like light and fun. His little boy, Hans. I mean, who doesn't like a Hans, you know? <laughs> but like it shit gets bloody and people die and there's gore and there's killing and there's all sorts of just like really dark stuff that happens. And I mean, it depends on what you do. I mean, there's multiple endings. There's multiple ways to go through the game. And for such a small game, it seems like there couldn't possibly be that much to it, but there really is that much to it. I mean, I can think of at least three or four different endings and three or four different ways you could go. And what you see and what you do is just so, oh man, it runs the gamut. It goes from happily ever after to, oh my God, I can't believe this ended like this. I'm now I'm just really <laughs> super depressed. I need to have a little drink after this. I mean, it really depends. I mean, it's such it's such a wonderful little package. And I, I get what you're saying about it. it doesn't surface everything to you. And I felt the exact same way. Uh, but it is much friendlier than Salt and Sanctuary is. Like, I think it, it's not it's not nearly out for your ass in the same way that Salt and Sanctuary is. And there's really not a lot to it once you get a few things down. Um, but, like, I think it's just so impressive to me that in something so small, every aspect of it, Every crumb in that game is absolutely significant. And I just, I found that to be really marvelous. That makes me think about, um, I guess, I mean, it is a really respectful thing because it makes me think a lot about my favorite game of all time, which is Silent Hill 2. Because Silent Hill 2 does the same thing where like, it monitors so many little tiny things that you do. And then that alters the ending of the game. Cause there's like, I don't know, like five different endings in Silent Hill 2. And I mean, it monitors things like as simple as examining specific items in your inventory because you would never think in a million years like, oh, if I if I take a second to examine this thing in my inventory, it's really going to affect something. But it really, it it counts. It like takes count of all of that stuff and you know how much time you spend with certain people, how many enemies you kill. Like it's just standard stuff that you'd never think games would keep count on because whenever we think about fucking like, ooh, interactive games with branching narratives. We think about Mass Effect where it's like you're in a dialogue situation. You could either say the mean thing or the nice thing. And, like, obviously that'll have, like, a consequence. But, like, with a game like Count Lucanor and also, like, Silent Hill 2 where it takes, you know, all of your, like, like the minutia of what you're doing and, like, the small um, actions and really factoring those into how the game ends for you I think is actually really incredible. And I wish that more games did this, but I also wish that... Like, I think I'm going to keep playing this game a little bit, but I'm just worried that I'm not going to be able to get on board with it as much as I want to in order to finish it. But I do kind of like what it's doing. I, okay, I'm really glad you said Silent Hill 2 because I think I, it did not occur to me until you said it. But now that you said it, I'm like, yes, <laughs> this is like this is like micro version of Silent Hill 2 in so many ways, like the counting of the minutia and the way that like it all kind of ends up kind of dreamy weemy at the end. 
and how things that you think mean one thing don't mean something else. Like, if you like Silent Hill 2, I would strongly recommend, like, start over. Like, start fresh, because this <laughs> game is not long. Go back to the beginning. Play it the way that you want to play it. Um, you know, explore thoroughly. I would also say really explore thoroughly. Take your time in exploring, because everything is really important, and there's a lot of things you can miss. This game is 100% not afraid that if you miss something, they will flip you the bird and smile, and they will not feel bad about it. So it is on you to be thorough and to think very carefully about your choices. And go back and go, like, like try it again. Just set it aside for, like, a day. Just delete your save, put it down, come back to it fresh. Because if, if Silent Hill 2 is your favorite game, I feel like this is for you. I feel like it really is. I think maybe you just got off on the wrong foot. Come back to it knowing that the coins are your saving, and you got to be really judicious with those. Don't, don't spend them willy-nilly. Um, but other than that, go back and do that stuff and explore and talk to people and try things out and just go back into it because I, I really feel like there's something here for you. So, um, and also knowing that it's so short is really positive because you can, I mean, you can totally blow through this in a day if you didn't get stuck. I mean, you're probably going to get stuck. I got stuck a couple times. Uh, there's a couple puzzles that are very tricky that I think maybe are probably, are so subtle that I think most people wouldn't figure them out their first time through. Maybe some of those are meant for a second run through. Um, but if you get really stuck, I mean, don't feel bad about going to an FAQ because I think I would much rather, I mean, me personally, I would much rather have you dip into an FAQ and, and see the game than get stuck in bail. Cause I think this is just a wonderful, wonderful game. I am so in love with this game. I think it's so good. And if you like Silent Hill 2 the way, I mean, you said it was your favorite game of all time. I cannot imagine that you you would love this game if you got past that hump. Go back to it, I think. That's my advice. It's funny to me because, like, if I told someone to play Silent Hill 2 today, like, it's it's a total role reversal because Silent Hill 2 is my favorite game of all time. And if I told someone who had never played it, like, you have to play it today, I could totally, I could 1,000% see them coming to me and saying the exact same things to me that I'm saying to you about the Count Lupinor and then just being like, and then me saying the same thing that you're saying to me, just saying like, yeah, it's kind of slow. Yeah, it's, sometimes it's obtuse, but just like stick with it and it'll really pay off. So like, I it's making me really trust you on this and it makes me want to go back and play it more because like Silent Hill 2 is kind of obtuse and it's kind of hard to get into and it's kind of slow here and there and it's kind of awkward and it's kind of weird, but like, I mean, what else can I say other than it's my favorite game of all time? I think the way it wraps itself up is incredibly powerful. It's one of the very few games that I have cried a lot, like, upon finishing, because everything about um, just the way everything wraps up and it is incredibly depressing, um, but in, like, a weird, like, good way, like, in a way that I like. Um, so it makes me, yeah, want to, maybe I'll just, yeah, start over and count Lucanor and just know what I know now and just start fresh and try it all over again. You know me, man. I, I almost never tell you to stick with something. Like, I am the first person to say, if you're not having fun, bail. Like, I say that, like, every show. <laughs> and I practice that myself. Like, I'm not a guy who says, stick with it till the end just because, because games or because <laughs> gamers or whatever. Like, I don't say that. But this is a game that I feel like is worth it, especially for you. Like, knowing what I know about you, knowing what your favorite game is, knowing how you play, totally go back to it. Like, stick with it. I feel like you will get there. I'm not going to say you're going to cry. I don't think you'll cry. But this game gets so dark and so creepy and so twisted and it has so much to it that you don't think is there. It does not seem like this little tiny indie game has this under the hood, but it does. It really does. Delete your save, put it aside for a day, come back to it, hit an FAQ if you get stuck, just get through the game and I bet you, you will be glad you did. Okay, I will, I might reserve this for post game of the year stuff because I have some stuff I want to finish up, but I I promise you... 
I'll come back to it and then hopefully finish it. And you know, I'm the first one to say too, I'm, I'm totally not afraid to hit up a YouTube video or an online guide or something if I get stuck somewhere, especially if it's a game that I'm kind of frustrated with. So I take that advice and I will come back to it and we can, we can, maybe we can circle back and do like a big old spoiler discussion later on. That would be fantastic. I, I, I would put money, I would put cash money that if you get over that hump, I bet you will fall in love with this game just like I have. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll come back, but let's move on right now. Um, we've got two more games to get through. I am bringing up a short game on the Switch. I don't know if you've heard of it or not. It's been on sale a couple times. I picked it up in the gigantic orgy of uh, Switch games that I picked up. <laughs> oh, they had a pretty incredible holiday sale. Did you dip in on any games in the holiday sale? Uh, the Count Lucanor. <laughs> There was shit that was on sale for like 50 cents, a dollar, a dollar 50, two dollars. I was like, oh, my God, like there's so many of my games that I was waiting to go on sale. They were like pennies, dude. I was like, holy shit. I mean, I think I bought I think I bought maybe like at least 10 or 12 games on sale. And I did not even pay barely any money. I was so shocked. Uh, I mean, of course, if you're listening to this now, way too late. Holiday sales over. Sorry about that. But boy. The Switch. I mean, I know Nintendo doesn't budge a penny on their fucking first-person titles, which sucks. But wow, dude, they are not afraid to uh, drop a sale on a brother on these fucking... Man, some of these indies are so cheap. I was just so pleased to hear that. So um, I dipped deeply, deeply on the holiday sale stuff. Uh, One of those was a case of distrust. Have you ever heard of this, Corey? I have not. Um, I've heard about it in certain circles. A few people that I know out on the fringe said that this was kind of their jam. So it kind of got on my radar. Uh, It is a text-based detective game where you play a female detective in, I mean, I want to say maybe like 1920s San Francisco. Um, You take on a case for a guy who says that he's being blackmailed, but he is also a bootlegger during, I guess, prohibition or something like that. And so... You have to figure out who is blackmailing him and, you know, detective stuff ensues. Um, But it's a text adventure, which is interesting. Um, I have no problem with text adventures. I enjoy them when they're done well. But this game also has a pretty neat visual component. I think the visual style is pretty cool. And that's kind of what got me won over in the first place. Um, They do a lot of solid color backgrounds with like uh, silhouette graphics where you're looking at something it can almost be like a paper cutout almost uh, which is really cool and attractive looking and they have some close-ups of people when you're talking to them where it's just like an outline of their face and they don't have eyes but they have like a mouth and hair it's kind of hard to describe but it's really vague but at the same time it really works like i think it's a very attractive cool looking style like the it just it just is is something that you want to check out. Like it looks like it could be the cover of a very well done book, or it could be like a, a like a really artistic poster or something. Like I think the visuals are strong, which is what I like. I like those very much. Um, as far as the rest of it goes, I feel like it does not live up to the visuals, which was kind of disappointing. Um, I will say that this game is probably about three hours long, and I did not get through it. Like I, oh, no. I bailed on it. Yeah, because I just I just couldn't do it. Uh, The problem, I think, is that for a text adventure, you really have to, like, draw the reader in. And it's not an easy skill. I'm not saying it because, you know, I I realize how hard this is. As someone who has written two books and who does editing and edits reviews all the time, I mean, I know how difficult it is to write, you know, 
text that really grabs somebody's attention and draws them in. And I just don't feel like this game gets over that hump. Uh, you don't really get a good sense of the detective. And I think that as a female detective in 1920 San Francisco, there's like probably a lot to chew on there. I mean, I think there's a lot of issues you could, you could tackle a lot of directions you could go with that. And they, they touch on it a little bit, but like, it's, I mean, I gotta be honest with you for a while. I thought she, I forgot she was even a woman. Like I just didn't even realize. And so maybe it doesn't come up as often as it should. And when you're talking to people, it's okay, but, like, you just don't really get a good sense of them, and you don't feel like, um... I mean, like, like have you ever played Phoenix Wright, by, for example, on I, 3DS? I'm very aware of it, but I've never played it. Well, Phoenix Wright is basically kind of like a point-and-click adventure or, like, a text adventure in many ways. And the thing that, that Phoenix Wright really gets done well is, like, you get a real strong sense of the characters. Like, you know who Phoenix Wright is, you know who his assistants are... When you meet people who are suspects, they're quirky and they're funny and you really just, you you understand them really well and you get a good feeling for who they are. In this game, I just didn't really get that sense. I just felt like I was talking to kind of like generic people who were not really super memorable. And as far as the actual like mystery goes, I never really felt like very involved in it. Like it's kind of like I kept waiting for something juicy to happen and it was just like, oh, I'm being blackmailed. Okay, cool. I'm going to investigate it. And you kind of just investigate it for a while. You talk to some people, which is just like picking from different options on a text menu. And you're like, okay, I'm just kind of talking. And, you know, you kind of just do the texting of where you're clicking every response just to see what happens. And you go through it and there's just not really a lot happening. When you talk to people, eventually, like you'll hit like a key piece of dialogue, which will be a different color than the rest of the text. And you'd be like, oh, that was important. And it gets it gets added to your notebook. And so after you talk to a couple people, you've got like this really long list of like, quote unquote, important stuff, uh, which basically is like a lot of stuff to wade through. And so when you go back to talk to somebody later, you're like, hey, I think you're involved in this crime because and then you open up your notebook and you've got like this giant list of stuff that you can pick. And it's like, well, what do I pick? I mean, it's like the couch in my office, the lamp in my office, the desk in my office, the beer bottle at the bar, the bartender's mustache, the chair in the bar. And it's like, well, okay, so why was this important? I don't remember. Okay, well, I got to click on this. What did I like about this? Oh, nothing. This was not important. Why did this get marked down my notebook? I don't know why it's here. And then this <laughs> other person said this other thing. And it's like, well, is this important? Is it relevant? I'm not sure. Click on it. No, I don't think that's relevant. It's like a lot of clicking of where you don't really have a good sense of what you're doing and why you're kind of just like going through the motions mechanically doesn't doesn't ever really feel like you're really investigating and the, the crime never really came together very clearly in my mind where I was kind of like I mean I got a vague sense of what I was doing but I didn't feel like you know all right I'm on the case now and I'm gonna get these guys and oh now I know what's up and oh my god that was a, a cool revelation and now I figured it out like I just I never got that sense um, by the time I was about two hours in and realized this is a three hour game, I was like kind of just clicking through text cause I was not really involved anymore. And I was like, okay, maybe I can just hurry up and just like lazily finish this off and say that I finished it. Um, but you know, you just get to a point where you have a million things in your notebook and you don't know what's relevant and what's not. You need to start picking out a person who did the crime. I, I had an idea of who did the crime, but I didn't have like the evidence to prove that they did it. And I didn't know how to get it or where to get it. And a lot of it really relies on saying just the exact right thing to the exact right person at the exact right time. And then that will trigger off an option that you didn't have before. So even if you kind of know what's going on, if you don't know the sequence of events to get you to that place, there's no 
method in the game for you to say it. Like if it's like, I think you did it because of this, you can't type in any text and there's no free form way to do that. And so if you don't connect the pieces in just the right way, the game just kind of stops you from moving forward. And so I, you know, just like Subnautica, I got stuck and I'm like, okay, I don't know what to do. I, I kind of know what's going on, but I don't know how to get there. I went to the internet. There's zero FAQs for this game. No FAQs. There's a couple <laughs> people on Steam who were stuck at the exact same place that I was stuck. And they were kind of like vaguely giving each other clues because nobody wanted to spoil it for each other, which I respect. But at the same time, nobody just came out with the answer. <laughs> and so I, I tried to follow their advice as much as possible, but I was missing something and I couldn't figure it out. And honestly, I just didn't give a fuck at that point. And I'm like, I just... I just don't care. I just don't care. I, I don't like this game enough to keep pushing forward. So I stopped, you know, two and a half hours out of a three hour game and I just put it down and I'm not going to come back to it. But I think that there is potential here. I think the visual style is cool. I think that a text adventure of this kind on the Switch makes a lot of sense. I think the idea of playing a female detective in 1920s is engaging and interesting. I think it's really juicy. Uh, but I just don't feel like the writing really got there and in a text adventure the writing is what it's all about so <laughs> unfortunate but i bowed out um does this seem like something you'd be i mean i know i kind of just took a shit on it but like would you be interested in it at all is this appealing at all i would not <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'm not really into text adventure games like I don't know. There, I, like, I respect the genre and all that, but there's just there's got to be something more in it for me than just like reading a lot of text and like responding to things. Like, I just I don't. It's just not. It's not enough for me. So I don't really like those games. I haven't happened upon a text adventure that I just like am so in love with that has like. Some, there's just got to be another element to it or something else going on and. What, I mean, I haven't played every, obviously, every like text adventure in the book, but the, the few that I've dabbled in, it's just not enough for me, so I'm not super interested in the genre as a whole. I don't blame you. I mean, I don't blame you. I kind of feel the same way, which is one reason why I thought Phoenix Wright was so successful, because there's so much of a visual element to it, and there's so many other things that you do in that game. Um, and I, I was hoping that the visuals of this game, like, like, you know, if you get a minute, go take a look at some screenshots of this. I think you'll find it appealing. I think it looks very visually interesting. Um, and I was hoping that that would kind of like give it a little bit extra substance and it, it kind of does, but it's not enough. And with the writing being kind of as soft as it is, it's just, mm, I just, you know, whenever I get to a place these days where I feel like I'm doing something just to do it for the sake of doing it rather than me actually enjoying it, I bow out. And so... Yeah, I'm done with this. Unfortunately, not a winner. It seemed like it had potential, but hopefully these guys will try again, maybe pep up the writing a little bit, maybe put a little bit more visual flair on it, and I, I think they'd be onto something. But uh, as of right now, I am going to leave the case of distrust unsolved. Mm -hmm. See what I did there? Was that clever? That was pretty you, good, right? I mean, I don't know if I'd call it clever, but... Oh! <laughs> the, case, the case of distrust will remain closed for now. There you go. There you go. All right. One final game to move on to. And I've actually been very, very, very excited to talk about this with you, Corey. We are going to be talking about the game that no one knows how to pronounce. It's either Gree or it's Gris or Grice. I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm thinking it's probably Gris since that is French for gray. Do you think that's probably a good guess? I mean, Gris would be French, but like Gris would be like Spanish. So 
I mean, I, I don't know. Oh, no, you know, that's a really good point because these guys are, are Spanish, aren't they? Oh, are they? I think they might be Spanish. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're French. I don't know. They're not from America, I don't think. Or maybe they are. Who knows? We don't do any <laughs> no research knows. on this podcast, people. Can you tell? <laughs> um, anyway, this game, I'm going to go with Gree since I think that's uh, that's where I would put my money if I was a betting man. Um, I'm going to go with Gree. This is from uh, one of your favorite in mind, Devolver Digital, uh, one of their latest releases. Just came out uh, a couple weeks ago. It is a very, very art house title uh, put out by a new developer who is largely made up of artists, like visual artists. Like uh, I was reading up on these guys and there are, of course, some game developers or else this game would never get made. But many of them are not not dev heads like they are graphic artists, painters, illustrators. Uh, and so they got together to form, you know, the studio, which has a, a, a different approach towards visuals. You play as a girl who I don't know what her name is and she is in a place where I don't know where she is <laughs> and a lot of artistic things happen. Um, I think we should probably put up a spoiler warning. What do you think, Corey? Yes, please. Okay, so uh, this is your s formal spoiler warning for Gree. I'm not sure that there's much to spoil. I mean, maybe some mechanical spoilers perhaps. But this is your formal spoiler warning. We're going to get into Gree. We're going to talk about everything about this game from start to finish. It may be a short discussion. I don't know. Uh, but we will hold nothing back. So if you have not played Gree, I think probably a lot of the enjoyment is in experiencing this for yourself. If you plan to play it, don't listen to this. Save it. Come back to it later after you've played it. If you don't care, please listen. But this is your 100% big spoiler warning. If you are driving in a car, please push pause. If you're on a bike hit pause on your whatever it is device you're listening to. This is your final section. I've delayed as long as I can possibly delay. Corey, <laughs> spoiler warning is over. Why don't you tell us, I don't know, tell us a little bit about Gree. I kind of touched on it a little bit there, but tell us a little bit more, and then we'll just kind of get into it. Gosh, okay, well, what what is there to say here? You play as a sad girl running around and jumping? Like, and yeah, really... Yeah, that's, that's it. That's, that's the game. That's the whole thing. Um... I mean, you play as this, I mean, like, much like, I feel like we're going to come back to this on the show a lot uh, in a weird way with Salt and Sanctuary and with um, the Unsolved Case Distrust game that you were talking about in this game. It's like, it's like an incredibly beautiful game. Like, when you're talking about, um, you know, the people that are behind it being, like, artists and visual artists and stuff, I mean, that's kind of, like, the thing that's been carrying this game since it came out is, like, wow, look how beautiful it is. Like, it's so beautiful. It kind of has an art design. I mean, I wouldn't be afraid to say that it has an art design kind of unlike anything I've seen in a game before. It looks very, like, watercolor painting-y. Like, they're, whenever you're moving through the environment, it's a 2D side-scroller. So when you're moving through the environment, like, the backgrounds will sometimes change and, like, flourish kind of like when, like, a wet drip of paint, like, hits the canvas and it kind of, like, spreads and, like, feathers. Like, that kind of stuff will happen. Um, the character design for the girl is, I mean, I don't actually kind of don't really like it, but it is like whimsical. Like she, her face looks normal and she has this kind of cool, like bluish gray hair, but she wears this like triangle shaped, like cape thing. And then her arms and legs are just like these like little, like paintbrush looking things. And maybe that's a kind of like a, you know, a, a riff on the game being like looking kind of like it's painted, but her, her character design looks very strange to me, and it also kind of makes me uncomfortable because her arms and legs just look really strange in comparison to her face and her, like, poncho cape body thing. 
Um, <laughs> I thought of it as a smock, but I think Poncho is pretty good too. <laughs> I mean, it just she just looks weird, and I mean, it's beautiful. But uh, I mean, at the beginning of the game, the, I mean, the game like you can tell that. I mean, I guess you can tell that it's done by artists and like, you know, and not really by like narrative designers because like, I like the thing that I keep hearing on Twitter over and over again is is the game is so beautiful, it's so beautiful, it's the most beautiful game of the year, it's beautiful, it's so beautiful. And then every once in a while I hear, oh, it's so beautiful, but I don't know what's going on. And that's exactly how I feel about it. Like, I played it, and it's really pretty. And, like, at first you start out just kind of running, you run back and forth, it's got a little bit of platforming, you can jump. Eventually you get this ability to, like, turn her poncho into, like, a block. And so she can almost do, like, a ground pound, like Mario, where you, like, jump in the air... You turn the poncho into like a brick thing and she kind of like slams it onto the ground and there's like uneven surfaces that she can like break through to make new paths. Eventually you get like a double jump thing that kind of makes her float through the air. If you double jump and hold um, the jump button, she'll kind of float. And so there's like a little bit of like mechanical um, sort of like crescendoing going on here with sort of like a little bit of like new moves being added. Um, but I've got to, I mean, I got to be frank about this game. It is really beautiful, but I think it's really dull. Like I was playing it and for the first like 10 minutes, it's pretty much just like a hold right on the D pad simulator. And like, yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> but I was like, okay. Cause like the game starts and she's like in front of this like statue of the, the game is full of like statues of naked women, which makes me want to roll my eyes, but it's also like, okay, I get it. It's like artsy and whatever. But, symbolism. Yeah, like, ooh, symbolism. So, and she's, like, crying about something. So, it's, like, it's basically a game about, like, a sad girl. And, like, you don't really know what she... I mean, at least, well, I'll, I'll get to me finishing and everything. But, like, I don't really know what she's sad about. She's just kind of, like, running through the world. It's a lot of pretty basic platforming, just, like, against the backdrop of this, like, incredibly beautiful world. There's parts where she, like, learns how to swim, and she can start swimming underwater. And there's, like... I mean, I wouldn't call them boss battles, but there's, like, parts where these things, like, attack her, these entities. I won't spoil it now, but we can get to it in a minute. These things, and it's sort of, like, chase sequences almost. But I was playing it before I went out of town. I sat down with it a couple times and played it for about 30 minutes each. And, I mean, at first I was like, okay, it's pretty, but, like, I don't know what's going on. And I'm tired of just, like, holding right on the D-pad and pressing A to jump. And then eventually she gets, like, her block ability. And I was like, okay, like, the gameplay is kind of getting there. Like, she has a new ability. There's, like, some puzzles involved where she has to, like, break through these surfaces and kind of, like, do these, like, multi-level, like, platforming puzzles with these surface things. And there's, like, a thing, like, kind of the running theme in the game, too, is she has to, like, collect these. They're kind of, like, orbs, like, stars. And there's, like, constellations in the area. And once she collects enough of the stars she goes back to the constellation thing and like the orbs like fill in the stars and then it turns into a platform that she can like jump on and stuff and like there's different phases of the world so you start in one color and then there's like a red world and a blue world and like a yellow world or something and so I played it a couple times before I went out of town and whenever I got back home last night I was like okay I really need to sit down and finish this game because we're going to talk about it and so I'm like kind of like waist deep in like the blue world which is kind of like the swimming and ice world and like there's just, like, a lot of kind of, like, frustrating platforming. It's the kind of platforming where, like, it has to be really precise. And, like, I can't count the number of times where I made her, like, double jump through the air. And she, like, landed, like, on the very corner of a platform. But it just, like, wasn't enough for the game to count her on the platform. So she fell through it. And then you have to, like, 
run back to the other side of the screen and then jump on these four platforms and then like double jump over to this other platform and like it's just like a lot of really precise like precision is needed it's not i wouldn't call the platforming this game easy and i don't really have the patience for it and so i got to a section last night in the underwater area where i was already kind of bored and i was already like okay this game doesn't really have enough going on to like really keep me invested i mean like yeah it's pretty like but what else is it and it's just like a pretty platformer, a pretty dull platformer, I would uh, describe. Ooh, ooh. And and like I got to a point because like every once in a while you get to a point where you have the constellations and like the constellation like lets you know how many of like the orb star things you need, and like and that's kind of like the only thing the game has. Like you get to it like kind of a hub area and it's like you need two stars to build this constellation to get the platform to go to the next area. And then, like, I did that probably, like, four times over the course of, like, whatever areas I'm in. And last night I got to one, and it was, like, kind of like a hub thing. And there were, like, there were, like, six stars or something. And, like, every star you need kind of involves doing some kind of, like, platforming puzzle. And so I, like, got to the thing, and it was, like, you know, it has, like, a little drawing, kind of like a hieroglyphic thing on the wall that has, like, a figure, and then it has the amount of stars you need. And there were, like, six, like, little holes, like, letting me know that I needed six stars. And I was, like, I, I was, like, no. I don't want to play this anymore. Like, I'm... <laughs> like, I mean, it's really, really beautiful. It is exceptionally beautiful, but it's dull and it's uninteresting. And I I just stopped. Like, I was not... I wasn't enjoying the platforming that it was doing. The visuals are not enough to keep me interested in the game. And the game has, like, no story. Like, the story is, you're a sad girl. And, like, that's not enough for me and like there are some games i kept thinking about like inside when i was playing this game because inside by play that is another example of a game that like there's not a whole lot of story going on but there is just enough and it has just enough of this weird sci-fi world to really keep me interested in what's going on and there's enough like kind of like moments where like there there's enough like danger i guess in certain moments like climactic moments that really kind of get my heart racing and really get me engaged but this game is just, like, it's beautiful, but that's it. Like, there wasn't really anything else that I was interested in. I wasn't actively enjoying the platforming. I wasn't enjoying the exploration. I wasn't enjoying every 15 minutes getting to a new thing that's like, oh, you need to go do these four puzzles to get these constellation pieces to build this platform or whatever. Um, I had to look up uh, a guide on YouTube like three or four times because there were areas that I was stuck in and I didn't know how to platform around them or I didn't know if I was going in the right direction. And I was like, I'm not interested enough to finish this game, nor am I interested enough to just like watch the playthrough on YouTube because I thought about just watching. <laughs> I mean, I just wanted, I thought about watching the rest of it on YouTube because I didn't want to come to this discussion empty handed, but I was like, I don't care enough about this game to even watch it on YouTube. Like, I don't like watching people play games, first of all. And second of all, like, I just, like, I, I realize I probably sound like a big Grinch and like a big asshole or whatever, but I just, the game is beautiful, absolutely beautiful. But that's all it is to me, and it's not interesting enough or mechanically engaging enough to keep me interested in playing it. And it's not even that long. It's like three or four hours long, and I played it for about two hours, and I just wasn't interested in doing the same platforming puzzles over and over again to get these stars to move on to a story that's non-existent. So I stopped playing it. Yeah, I mean, yes. Yes, everything you said, <laughs> yes. Um like you said, gorgeous game. I mean, really breathtaking in certain areas, like when certain things happen. 
um, the integration of some of the animation and the way that they use colors and the way that they approach just the visual design, like really strong, like really, really beautiful and gorgeous and strong. I screenshotted like every five <laughs> seconds that I was playing this game. I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is a frameable picture. And so is this. And so is this. Like it was gorgeous. Like it really is gorgeous. But I think that you are not, you are not wrong. Um, I don't have any clue at all what the girl's name is or what she's sad about or what she's even doing. It's just like super vague. And I heard people talking about the themes and about the story on Twitter. And I'm like, y'all talking out of your ass because you guys don't, there's nothing in the game that tells anything about this stuff. You guys are just like doing that whole dark souls thing of, I found this one sword in this corner. Therefore that means this entire story happened and you're just making stuff up. I mean, there's nothing in the game to substantiate that. Uh, I mean, there was stuff in the menu that I never unlocked. So maybe something unlocks after you beat the game and do some of the challenges or something. But I mean, in a normal playthrough, there is nothing in there at all to tell you what's going on about anything, which I think is a big problem. Um, I mean, I kind of like her design. I mean, like, she, like you said, she looks kind of weird, but also kind of cool, but kind of weird. And I mean, it kind of worked for me in general, just the way that she looked. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just... There were so there were moments of this game that I thought were brilliant. Like there were a few like little two minute moments here and two minutes there that I thought that was super cool. I love that part um, when some of the animation stuff happens or when there were a couple puzzles that I was like, oh, that was really clever. That was really fun. I enjoyed doing that. That forty five seconds of gameplay. But there's a lot of like where you're saying where you're just you know holding to one direction and running around and nothing's really happening, and you don't really even know where you're going like one thing that happened to me was i would play this game i would pause it because i would need to go make dinner or i just was going to bed or something and i would come back to it and when i would come back to it i would have absolutely no recollection of what i was doing or where i was going or what my objective was and i would get really lost uh, like hardcore lost where i would just pick a random direction and hope that something would happen because i had no idea what to do or where to go which i think is really poor design also uh, you just, like you said, you don't have a good pacing to it and you just don't even know what's going on. When I got to the section that you described, it has the requirement of the six stars. I gave out the longest, loudest sigh. I was like, oh my God. Like it's, it's, it's like they kind of dabble in being nonlinear, but it's the backgrounds look the same. And I mean, they're gorgeous, but like, there's just like trees and stuff. And if you're going right, there's trees. And if you're going left, there's trees. And you don't really know, am I going in the right direction? Is this even where I'm supposed to be? I can't tell exactly. And eventually, I mean, I eventually stumbled across it all. I finished it naturally and I did complete the game. So that's fine. But I didn't even know that I was done until I saw <laughs> the final cutscene. And ironically, I was talking to, um, I guess, not friend of the show, Mike Susky, who is oh not, a, not a fan of our show, but still a good guy. Still writes at Game Critics. He paused the game and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm at this part uh, that I'm doing this thing. And I'm like, Mike, you literally paused in the final cutscene." And he's like, oh. And he went back. He's like, well, sure enough, I did. I paused right in the middle of the game ending cutscene, and I had no idea that was the end of the game. Oh my God. Literally, that can happen. So it's just it's just weird that it, it, it eschews the, the general structure and pacing and stuff that we expect as gamers. And I think it's fine to challenge that stuff. I don't I don't think every platformer has to fit into the three levels and a boss you know template or anything but at the same time you know games are designed a certain way for a certain reason it's not like just willy-nilly and testing the boundaries is great but i think this is a good example of a game that tries to get away from the form but it doesn't replace it with anything else and i 
not quite sure that they're very successful in what they've produced. I mean, screenshots are amazing. It looks beautiful. I love that they try to do something different, but I mean, I just needed a little bit more involvement, both intellectually and mechanically. So I feel like the game really fell down at that part. And I mean, there was one part. Did you get to the part where she was upside down? Uh, I don't think so. Oh my God. They, there's a, the, one of the final segments of the game is when she goes back and forth. Like, like it looks amazing again, like everything else in the game, it looks amazing. There's like two levels of water. There's like a lower level of water. There's air in the middle and then there's water on the top. And if you're in the lower water, you're swimming around, you jump through the air and splash into the upper water. Then all of a sudden gravity is reversed and you're upside down in the upper water. And it sounds crazy and it's hard to describe, but there's like a lower world and an upper world and you're kind of going back and forth between them. I found it to be so incredibly confusing and so difficult to get through that section. I got really close to just quitting right there because I just was not having fun and I was really frustrated because I didn't know what my goal was. I didn't know which direction I was going. I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do. And I just was, it just, the whole thing just feels really vague and unfocused. And I just, I got really, really close. And then all of a sudden I got through the next section and then the game was over. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> well, I guess that was that. So yeah, I mean, I guess I don't have much else to say other than, yeah, it sure is super beautiful, but story is weak. There's no story. I mean, the gameplay puzzles, I mean, it's fine that there's no death. I mean, I think that's okay. I don't need, I'm glad there was no like life bar or, you know, lives or anything like that. But at the same time, they're just, there just wasn't enough there. Like there wasn't enough motivation. There wasn't enough drive to push forward. And it was just too confusing and just kind of vague. The whole thing was just really, really super vague, you know, like, like looking at like an abstract painting in a gallery. And it's like, you look at it and you kind of maybe get a, a sort of a feeling from it, but you don't know what it's supposed to be. And you don't know what it's called and you don't really know a lot about it. And that's okay for some people. And that's okay if you're looking at a painting, but in a game, I think you need more than that. Yeah. I was thinking about, um, I feel like the game that I can relate most closely to this, that I enjoyed a lot more, that I actually found sort of like a meaning and enough, still vague, but enough meaning in it to really um, bring the game to life for me was Bound on PS4. Oh, yes. Because, I mean, that one is like, and I know that you and I had a pretty deep discussion about this game too, but like Bound, um, for those that don't remember, is like the game about the dancer. She's like a ballerina, like dancing through all these abstract worlds. But there's, like, cutscenes in the middle where she's, like, actually a woman in real life. Like, she's on a beach. She's trying to get to this house. You can tell that there's some kind of unresolved issue going on. And then the game actually kind of, like, brings it full circle at the end when it, you know, when it gets to wherever it's going. I'm not going to spoil it. But, like, there is, like, a resolution. And I kind of wish that this, that Gree or Gris or however you want to call it, Gray, um, had that. Because, like, it's all just this weird abstract world. And I'm not, I mean, I don't need it to have, like, cutscenes where she looks like a real proportional woman or whatever like I don't need that but I just need something else to like ground the story in anything because a a a girl being sad is not a story and I also don't like whenever this this trend of like uh, like male game developers making uh, making sad girl stories because it, it just feels kind of kind of gross to me in a way like where it's like oh we're gonna take this girl's sadness and turn it into art or like something like that and I just that's something that I have a hard time getting down with and I feel like it's a trend that kind of needs to like go away a little bit um but like Bound to me did it a lot better and a lot more right as far as this like weird abstract exploration because it grounded itself more and I was able to 
find meaning in like the bits and pieces of what was happening. But in Gree, it's just like you have a sad girl who's platforming and there's like not really anything else to it. Yeah, I mean, I basically agree. I was really not a fan of Bound, although I did love the imagery. I thought it looked visually amazing, but I did not care for what you actually did, nor did I care for how it wrapped up or anything. But I do I do agree that it did have more of a point and it did seem to be driving towards something. And I think it's okay to not be about something, but I guess it just needs to not be about something in a different way that this game is not being about something. I mean, I just I just feel like, like kind of like you said, like it, it seems like they're taking the imagery of like a sad girl, but there's really nothing behind it. And I don't know, is there a sad girl on the development team and this is her idea and this is her way of working through something? I mean, I kind of would doubt it because it doesn't seem to be really leading towards anything or, or or I don't feel like there's enough elements in there to really ground any of the sadness or even just the concept of anything being past sad you know like i don't even i'm just there's nothing for me to grab onto you know i guess just conceptually so i don't need like a traditional three-act structure beginning middle end or anything i don't need some big cutscene at the end wrapping it all together but i just it just feels like there's really nothing there like you're just trying to grab onto smoke and no matter how many times you grasp it it just keeps slipping through your fingers like there's just not much so i know this was on a lot of people's top 10 I think that artistically it's really, really strong. And I think it's worth noting just for the artistic presentation. I think that in itself is worth taking a look at. So maybe catch it on YouTube or grab it on sale if you want to just check it out artistically. But in terms of like being a holistic game, I just, it really left me wanting. I mean, I was really bored at many points. I got just, just, I just felt really at a distance with it. And I never really felt like it meant much to me other than the fact that I thought it was really beautiful and my screenshots are amazing. So that's kind of where I landed on it. You, same? Yeah, I mean, I didn't even finish it, so I don't know what more I have yeah, to say. Like, yeah. I, I wanted to like this game. It seemed like the kind of game that I would be incredibly into. I mean, it's beautiful. It's kind of, like, artsy and vague, and I like those kind of games, but it's just too... It's perhaps too artsy and too vague for me. And, I mean, if anybody would get down with this game, I thought it would have been me. And I, I take no pleasure in coming to the show and being like, yeah, it was dull, I didn't like it, blah, 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 it's vague, but... I mean, that's how, if I liked it, I would have, I would gladly shout its praises from the rooftops, but I just didn't like this. And I'm sad that it's pretty, is pretty much like all it has going for it. I just wish yeah, that there were more yeah. there. Agreed. Agreed. Well, we took a couple comments from people on the interwebs. Why don't we go through these really quickly? I'll take the first one, you take the second, and then sure. I'll take the third. Yeah. All right. So, first one comes from uh, not friend of the show, who we just mentioned, Mike Seski, writer at Game Critics. Uh, he says, I'm not done with it yet, but I just did the bit with the singing and swimming and that part pretty much guaranteed a spot in my top 10. That was also the part where he paused in the final cutscene, so I would want to circle <laughs> back with him to see if he feels the same way. Uh, read the next one there, Corey. Um, the next one is from Decrepit Gaming. I can't remember his name in real life. Do you know what it is? Cliff Goldsmith. Cliff, yeah, he's done a couple it. reviews for us. Good old Cliff Goldsmith. Yes. I'm very aware. Like, the weird thing about Twitter is I know people by their usernames and not by their real names. And if, they're, totally. if their username is not the real name, then I always just, like, gloss over them. But I totally know uh, who he is, obviously. Um, but he let us know that he was definitely going to pick it up and play it. Right on, Cliff. If you do pick this up and play this, I would want to hear your opinion, sir. Uh, final comment comes from Barry Goosens, who is PostRockerNL on Twitter. Says, sound design and soundtrack is excellent. When you dive, which means, you know, under the water, it goes silent. Uh, I also love the animation and maneuverability later in the game. Glad you enjoyed it. Well, I didn't say that I enjoyed it, Barry. I think you, <laughs> think you maybe assumed a little bit on your part there, but thank you very much for your comment. Um, he does uh, bring up a good point. 
I actually played this game on mute for like 90% of it. And come to find out that most people were saying, oh my God, the sound is amazing. The soundtrack is amazing. So I wonder if this is a case of the visuals and the soundtrack really winning people over and doing most of the heavy lifting. I played silent. And so I had no benefit of the music up until the very, very, very end when she gets um, a power, which I didn't even know what it did. I couldn't figure out what it did. There was like these little circles and it looked like she was singing. So I turned on the sound and I'm like, oh, okay, she is singing. So therefore what? But at least I figured out what she was doing. Did you did you play with the sound on? Did you have any thoughts on the soundtrack or the uh, sound design? Um, yeah, I actually, I did play it because I, I had it on PC and I played it with headphones on. And uh, that is, I mean, I'm glad he brought that up because it's something I forgot, is that the sound design is actually really good. Like the music's great. Um, the music flows well with the game. Um, there's like an element of the game where she can't, because if you press one, I was playing it with a controller, um, like an Xbox 360 controller on the PC. Um, there's a button you can press, I think it's B, that she'll, like, attempt to sing and can't. So I don't know if, like, that's what she's sad about, that she, like, can't sing oh. anymore or something. Um, I had no idea about that. Yeah, because, like, at the very the beginning, beginning of, the game? of the game, she is singing a little bit, and then she, like, can't sing anymore. And But it doesn't, like, show, like, how she stopped singing or, like, what. It just, she's just kind of, like, humming, and then, like, her voice doesn't hum anymore. So, like, maybe uh, she's sad that she can't sing, but I don't think the game, like, really makes that very clear. Um, and I so, literally had no idea about that at all. That I mean, this is the first I'm hearing about it, so I, I must have totally missed that. Yeah, and so there is a button where she kind of, like, lets out, like, a little bit of a yelp and can't quite sing. So I'm guessing when you get the singing power later, it's kind of her, I don't know, like, uh, reclaiming her agency over her voice. I mean, I guess that's maybe, like, a symbolic thing. Like, maybe she feels like... A silenced woman and now she can like speak freely again but again like the game isn't it's not right, it's just right. not concrete enough well and i i mean i got through the entire i finished the entire game without even realizing that was a thing so i mean they didn't really nail that particular nail down very well i mean if i can finish it from a to z and i had no idea that was <laughs> that was even an element i mean i guess you should have highlighted that a little bit more i guess i mean maybe I, it was me being dense but at the <laughs> same time i just never got that sense but okay uh, well, that's all I have to say. Thank you guys for your comments. Really appreciate it. Uh, Corey, any final thoughts or shall we wrap the show? Uh, I think we can wrap it up. Consider this the end of our spoiler section. All right. Excellent. Excellent. And this is also the end of the show proper. Uh, thank you all very much for listening. And please remember that you can send us your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else you'd like to. And we do love to hear from you. We will get your comments. I guarantee it. Uh, hit us up, sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. You can also post comments for us at gamecritics.com after the show goes up. There's a comment section there. Uh, we are also on Twitter as a show collectively, at sovideogames, but you can reach us individually. Uh, my name uh, on Twitter and Instagram is B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's. Corey, where can they find you? Uh, my Twitter and Instagram handles are also my first and last name. It is Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Excellent, excellent. That brings us to the end of another So Video Games, also the end of another year of So Video Games. You can look forward to our mega game of the year episode next show. I'm excited for this, Corey. Are you excited? I am excited, but I, I feel the pressure mounting of stuff. I have like... a small handful of games that I still want to dabble in before game of the year and I haven't played a lot this year so I feel like my top t I mean I've played more than 10 games this year but I feel like my top 10 list is going to be strange as in like you know the number one game I'm going to be head over heels for and then the number 10 game I'm going to be like yeah it was like kind of fine like 
you know, not like all 10 games are going to be like magical experiences that I had this year. It's been a strange year. I really, I mean, I don't know about you, um, but I, I hovered around like seven games for like 10 months and I had nothing else for the list. And then like this month I had like four games that I thought were pretty strong contenders. So my list is going to be pretty weird too. (laughs) Uh, But we'll get there when we get there. We're going to get there next episode. And again, folks, just a reminder, if you want to participate, please send us your top three that you liked and one that you thought sucked. And we will read those (laughs) off and give a shout out. Looking forward to getting those from you. Um, So that's the end of the show. Please stick around past the closing music for the banter. If you are so inclined, if not, no big deal. In the meantime, this is bye from Brad. And bye from Corey. We will see you guys for Game of the Year next week. Woo! <laughs> so just correct me real quickly. Is Kate Beckinsdale the same one that was in the... Um the vampire werewolf movies underworld yes okay yes i do like her yes i'd like have you seen those movies i've seen like two of them i think like the first two but at this point god what do they have like six of them or something and they're all the same but god damn it i love every single one like (laughs) i i don't i couldn't tell you what's going on in them and i don't know any of the characters all i know is that some people are werewolves some people are vampires a couple of people are both and they have those like liquid sunshine bullets or whatever which is totally ludicrous but uh i just i love those movies dude like I'm, i sit and watch them with a wife i'm like god this is like a good this movie is terrible but i love it like i don't know i don't even know what i even like about it i just think they're so stylish kind of and just feels like important things are happening and i couldn't tell you what but i feel like i, I don't know i'm like a part of something larger than myself i guess i don't even know i just just like those movies <laughs> i am i'm very much a fan of like well, I, I don't think I do this often, but there's, like, a few cases where there's, like, movies that maybe, like, are good but not great, but, like, movies that came out that I really, really liked and rewatched pretty often that people just, like, forgot about. Like, one of them, have you ever seen Smoke and Aces with Ryan Reynolds and Alicia Keys and Common and Jeremy Piven? Have you, have you heard of this? I've, I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. Okay, it came out in, like, 2006 or so, I want to say. And it, it's, like, this giant ensemble action movie with, like, all the people I just mentioned. And, like, Taraji P. Henson was in it before she got famous. And Chris Pine was in it before he got famous. And it's, like, all these people are in it. Like, um, Ray Liotta is in it. There's just, like, it's like a shitload of people in it. And it's basically, for people who are listening who haven't heard of it, it's, like, basically a movie about this magician, this Las Vegas magician who's, like, really <laughs> cheesy and kind of famous for being, like, a, a Vegas, like, showpiece dude. And he's actually a part of this big, like, mobster crime family. And it turns out that, like, someone in the family, there's, like, someone with connections to the family who's dying and they put a hit on him. And so he's, like, sealed up in this Las Vegas penthouse in this hotel in downtown Vegas And so the movie is basically about all of these, like, hitmen and hit squads from, like, around the planet kind of, like, like congregating on Las Vegas in order to try to kill him so that they can get all the money from the hit. And Ryan Reynolds and Ray Liotta play FBI agents. I think they're FBI agents who are, like, trying to protect him, but they also can't really get access to the hotel suite. So, like, everybody's, like, going for him all at the same time. And, like... It's, like, such a good movie, and, like, nobody remembers it, and it's got, like, such a, like, a bunch of good actors in it, and, like, there's this big 
sequence probably about three quarters of the way through where everything kind of like finally comes to a head and like you know there's like a big shootout and everything and it's just like incredibly well uh just like well directed and well paced sort of like leading up to the action like we were talking about i was talking about widows like a week or two ago where like widows is like 90 percent like backstory and kind of like boring bullshit and then the last like 10 percent is the heist but like smoke and aces is like the perfect like ramp up into like tension into what's going on and there's a lot of really interesting characters with different backgrounds and then like when things finally get going like it just really works and it makes me sad because it's one of those movies that like came out and I saw in the theater and I loved and then I bought it and like nobody remembers that it came out and nobody saw it but I still just really love it I think it's a great movie that sounds like a fantastic movie I've I've heard the name but I could not have told you what it was about and I didn't know who was in it uh, but now that you're talking about it, I'm like, man, that sounds like a pretty dope movie. Maybe I'm going to watch that tonight because that sounds like a good time. I could definitely use a movie like that right now, man. You know, speaking of movies, um, I just tweeted about this. You probably saw this on Twitter, but uh, we were kicking it during the holiday. I hate holidays, by the way. We're going to circle back to this in a second. Holidays fucking suck. <laughs> Um, but we were kicking it home and I wanted to we wanted to watch like a family movie. But we like it's like one of those things where like we all have slightly different tastes like. We're, like, the Venn diagram of, like, three circles, right? And so, like, some stuff, like, I love and nobody else loves. Some stuff my wife loves, nobody else loves. You know, same for my son, et cetera, et cetera. But we frequently can come together on certain things. Like, we love, uh, you know, Pacific Rim, or we'll watch superhero movies, or we'll watch uh, Queer Eye on Netflix, we all love that. Or we love, you know, like, the, like Fixer Upper on uh, HGTV or whatever. Like, I hate Fixer Upper shows, but I'll watch that one and... Whatever, so that we, you know, we overlap on certain things. And on that particular day, I think it was either Christmas Day or the day after, our circles had zero fucking overlap. Nobody wanted to watch anything that anybody else wanted to watch. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, like, you know, my wife would suggest something. I'm like, oh God, I don't want to watch that. And then I'd throw something out and my son would be like, no, I don't want to watch that. Like, round and round in fucking circles for like an hour. Like, we just watching trailers, squabbling about stuff, just could not agree on a movie to watch. My vote was to watch um, The Witches. Have you seen The Witches with Angelica Houston? And um, I think he's probably... I don't know if Rowan Atkinson is in that. He might be. But it's about a, a little boy who suspects his neighbor is a witch. And sure enough, she actually is. And she turns him into a mouse. And then he has to, like, turn himself back into a human while stopping the witch's evil plot. Have you ever seen this one? I have. I've never even heard of this. Oh, man. I loved it when I was growing up. It's probably from late 80s early 90s um and apart from the fact that i just had like the most massive crush on angelica houston when i was younger um <laughs> god i don't know what it was about her dude she was just like the older like powerful like bitchy woman and i'm like god yes mama get over here um <laughs> I'm <laughs> okay i'm gonna move to change topics now anyway that i love that movie like it was so cool because most of the movie was him being a mouse doing really small mouse things in this giant hotel and like, you know, avoiding mouse traps and not getting caught and fighting off these really gross, scary witches. Um, it was kind of creepy. Like it really falls squarely into the whole, um, kid movie slash horror movie that we kind of talked about a couple episodes ago. Like it's really like in that zone. And I really liked it a lot. Um, that was my vote. Nobody wanted to see that. Um, my wife suggested, I forget what it was, but nobody wanted to see that. And then I'm like, oh, let's watch Paddington 2. I love the first one. You ever see, you ever see the first Paddington movie? I have not seen any of them. 
fuck, dude, that is a good ass movie. Like, I know you're probably not too excited about watching a CG bear eating jam sandwiches, but let me tell you, <laughs> that movie is the fucking best movie. Paddington, the first one was so good, and I heard people say the second one was excellent also. Uh, so we go over to iTunes. Of course, it's not for rent yet. I'm like, some bitch. Course. Uh, of course, it's not for rent. <laughs> so we're just, we're all like, we're just slowly dying. Like, our life force is ebbing away, and like, we just can't get together on anything. And I feel like the day is just heading to the toilet in a, in a heartbeat because we're all just kind of getting crabby and stuff. Um, so then we go over to Amazon and we're just fucking around, just flipping through. And I'm like, wait a minute, what's that? And there's a little tag for this movie. Oh, man. I, it's so ironic that I always end up talking about fucking Norway and Finland and shit because I don't know anything about those countries and I can never get it right. But like, I, it seems like I bring it up every fucking episode. So like there was a movie from that part of the area. I think it was Norway. I could be totally wrong, but one of those countries with all the peaceful, liberal, white people that are also friendly. Uh, and it's called The Ash Lad in the Hall of the Mountain King. Um, so it just came out over in that part of the world, I think, last year. I had not heard anything about it. I didn't know anything about it. The first time I ever saw it was on Amazon as we were flipping through, and it had kind of an interesting little title card. It kind of looked like Lord of the Rings a little bit. And I'm like, oh, you know, maybe we can do a little sci-fi or fantasy action have you i'm sure you haven't heard of this i have never heard of it i had never heard of it either i didn't have any idea so we we sit and watch the trailer and i'm like you know that kind of looked kind of dope that looks all right let's check this out um and it was actually like really really good i'm really glad that we picked it because we all were kind of squabbling a little bit but i just like oh we're just gonna watch this we're gonna go for it gina gave me the second vote and so we moved ahead it's about okay so apparently it's like based on like some Norwegian folktale of some sort. I mean, it had a very fairy tale feeling to it where there's like these three brothers. Two of them are like the studious, hardworking types. One of them is like the daydreamy, soulful, but also kind of a fuck up, screw up kind of a kid. Uh, accidentally burns his house down. And the rest of the family's like, you fucking suck. Get the fuck out of here. You're, you're out of the family. So the dude wanders off. And like, as he wanders off, he kind of has these adventures um his brothers go after him and they end up going on kind of like this like I, I mean it's not lord it has nothing to do with lord of the rings but it has that same feeling of like going on a journey in a really picturesque foresty green wilderness area and then like monsters show up every now and then but there's also like laughs and there's oh, some fights but it's all very good natured and friendly um and, you know, like, they meet these witches, and they have this little encounter with these witches, and then they meet this, like, swamp monster real briefly, and then they fight this big troll. And it's all very, it, it feels very much like a, uh, like a Grimm Brothers fairy tale or one of those kind of things where there's, like, a moral in the story, but there's also, like, adventure. And, I mean, it was really interesting because the humor was really good. It was dubbed over because clearly they were speaking a foreign language. I mean, they were speaking, you know, Norwegian or whatever, whatever it is they speak over there. And uh, they dubbed over it. Some of the dubs were like horrific, but they were horrific in like the best possible way. <laughs> we were just like, oh my God, that's amazing that he said it like that. That's, that's incredible. Like it was so crazy and funny and weird. And I mean, clearly the movie was not taking itself super seriously, like seriously enough that you kind of invested in the adventure. But, you know, there was laughs. Like it was, they totally like poked fun at things. And like, you know, some things were like obviously goofy. And I mean, it was just like a really really well done movie like super good movie really fun really light but also actiony and it was never it was never boring 
And I got to tell you, man, that scenery in that movie, I am not a dude who like looks at scenery and is like, oh my God, it's so beautiful. Like I see trees, whatever, it's fine. But like unless scenery in that movie was like, holy shit, they're walking up on a mountain and you can see like forever. And there's like all these giant forests and like none of it was CG. Like, I mean, they were clearly on location wherever they, in the world it was. And I'm like, God, it's like amazing that there's like a place that looks like that. That's so crazy. <laughs> It was a really, really good movie. I would totally recommend it to anybody who wanted something Lord of the Ringsy, but you know, also kind of like lighthearted and not dark at all, and just really fun and actiony. Kind of like, kind of like, uh, you know, kind of the same sort of a tone that like Hercules or Xena. You know, you ever seen those shows? Mm, I haven't watched them, but I definitely know what they are. Okay, so you know of them. So that kind of like lighthearted fantasy adventure sort of a thing, but also wink, wink, nudge, nudge a little bit kind of a thing. It was really in the zone. And I have to say it, it really surprised me because they did a great job with the writing. Um, and I don't know how much of this was directly from the folktale and how much of it was made up for the movie. But I mean, the writing all came together in a really beautiful way. All of the little loose ends got tied up perfectly. I was really uh, admiring that. And at the very end, uh, there is, there is a princess to rescue. And in the beginning I was kind of like, Oh, it's kind of a bummer that, you know, we're kind of doing the whole lady needs to be rescued thing. But, you know, but then again, this folktale, I'm sure, is probably a couple hundred years old. And, you know, different time, different place. They're kind of honoring the material. Sure, sure, sure. But when they got to the end of the story, they did a really cool modern twist, which was obviously a nod to, like, moving women forward and having women not be just, like, a prize to be won or not just, like, the object of a quest. She was actually a person. It was really cool. Like, I mean, it wasn't a huge thing, but, like, they clearly knew what they were doing and they clearly had the same concerns that I was feeling at the start of the movie. And it was really like a nice little payoff at the end where it's like, Oh, they really did like update it in a cool way that really honored the story, but also like reflected modern times. It was just a fucking good movie, dude. And I'm really glad we watched it. And it was so crazy that we just like randomly clicked on it after watching 8,000 trailers and just out of the blue, we're like, yeah, this one. And then it turns out to be like a total win. Like it was really, really good. So this was, um, the Ash lad in the hall of the mountain King and it's free on, uh, what did I say? It was Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime is where we saw it. So it's free if you got Prime. I don't know if it's anywhere else. I've never heard of it, never seen it anywhere else, but it's on Prime for sure. I have learned today that as long as a movie has witches in it, you're satisfied. I'm down, dude. I'm always up for a good witch. <laughs> I didn't know that either till today, but boy, I'm learning something about myself. This is a mutual journey of discovery here, man. So yeah, witches. Witches does it. Angelica Houston does it. Uh... <laughs> Anyway, anyway, how was your how was your holiday? We haven't talked since before Christmas, right? Because last time we recorded was Christmas was Christ Eve. Christmas Eve, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's been a week. How was your How was your Christmas, sir? Well, I went. I just got back from a trip home because um, I wasn't sure this year. Because last year, whenever Christmas uh, happened. I wasn't working, so I had, you know, pretty much unlimited free time, and Patrick had several days off work, so we ended up, and I talked about it last year on the show, but we ended up just doing, like, a big, huge road trip, like, up from New Orleans to basically like, all the cities that we, like, grew up in and around in, like, the Missouri area, so we went up to, like, St. Louis, Missouri, we went down uh, to South Missouri, where his uh, mom and stepdad live, we went to Columbia, Missouri, where we went to college, we went to Kansas City, where my family lives, we went to Omaha, where we lived before we moved to New Orleans, and we just kind of did like a big road trip and like saw everybody, and this year, um, basically, he just stayed home for the entire holiday season, because he had to go back to work, right, like the day after Christmas, all he had off work was Christmas Eve and Christmas, so he went back to work 
right after uh, Christmas. And I was like trying to figure out for the longest time what I wanted to do because like, like I, it's one of those things where like, you know, I, I could have like stayed in New Orleans the whole time and been perfectly fine. But like, if I didn't see my mom for Christmas, she would probably like never let me forget it. And she would have been like really sad about it. Like if I didn't go home for Christmas. So what I ended up doing was booking a flight, a really short flight home. So I flew out on Friday morning and got there Friday afternoon. And then I flew out Sunday, yesterday um, afternoon to get back to New Orleans on Sunday um, Sunday night, last night. I didn't get back until about 10.30 last night. And um, so it was just like a short and sweet trip home. I just flew out by myself. And um, I mean, I don't know. It was okay. Like... Uh, I mean, it was nice to see. It was pretty much just like me and my mom and my brother because uh, I don't really have like a big family. I have a lot of family members, but they're like people I see once every 20 years and they're like kind of a lot of them are in Texas and um, I don't really go to Texas very often. And that's like my dad's side of the family. Um, but I mean, it was I, I don't like I don't even really know what to say about it. It was basically just like I flew home and I was there for the weekend and I got to see um, I guess like the highlight of the trip which has nothing to do with my family which makes me sound like a terrible person is that I got to see one of my best friends from high school um, he who I've known for I think like god like 17 years or something um, uh, he very uh, two years ago he very unexpectedly and I might have talked about this at the time but I can't remember if I brought it up um because uh, we graduated from high school the same year and I went to college immediately and he didn't come to college for like a couple of years because he stayed in Kansas City and just like worked for this like banking company or something for a couple of years and then he came to school. So we were the same age, but we were like offset in college years by like a couple of years or something like that. Um, and after graduating, because he graduated like two years after I did or something like that, maybe a year or so after I did, um, he was basically really struggling to find like a job or to find what he wanted to do. And he didn't really know what he wanted to do. And he very, very, very unexpectedly, something I never thought that he would ever do ever, ever, ever in his life, he joined the Air Force. And that was like a huge surprise to me. And so he's been, you know, he went to basic training and then he went to like, he was in Texas for a while. And now he lives in California because wherever he, the stuff that he does is in California. Um, and I hadn't seen him in two years. And by very happenstance situation, um, he texted me while I was home. And so I texted him back and I was like, oh, haha, you know, just fun fact, I'm in Kansas City for the weekend. And he was like, I'm also in Kansas City for the weekend. We had like not talked about it at all. So um, it just like ended up being this weird scenario where we both were in Kansas City at the same time. Like he had flown, we basically both did the same thing without telling each other because I didn't. I thought that he would be so caught up in work with the Air Force that he wouldn't have any time to come home or that if he did, he would tell me. And so we both kind of thought the same thing about each other, like, oh, well, surely one of us will tell the other person if we're going to Kansas City. And then neither of us told the other person we were going to Kansas City. So we ended up in Kansas City at the same time. And so I was able to see him for the first time in two years, which was like incredible because he is, um, God, like I can't even really like What is, what is this guy's name? Who is it? Who are we talking about? Uh, his name is Nick. Oh yeah, Nick. I know Nick. We know Nick. I keep wanting to. Yeah, okay. Never mind. I yeah. I'll hold something for later, but that's fine. Yes, Nick. We know Nick. We've talked about Nick. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, um, hey, but he's just like, uh, like, probably like my. If I had to say like, like a definitive best friend, like I would probably call him like my best friend. Like we've been friends for so long, and um, he's just very 
I just he's just like very near and dear to my heart kind of person. He's such a good guy and um and it was just so weird when he joined the Air Force cuz like I never thought that he would do that. It was so unexpected, uh, just such an unexpected move and then he did that and now um you know he's like in California doing like Air Force intelligence stuff and I didn't think I was I had no idea when I was going to see him ever again. And then we both ended up in Kansas City at the same time. So it was really nice to see him. We only got to hang out for a couple of hours, but I mean, I'll take whatever I can get after not seeing him for two years. And I mean, he's like pretty busy. So we don't like, you know, get to like text message often because he just pretty much like works and sleeps. Um, so like that was really nice being able to see him. And I got to see another girlfriend from high school who um, who I she's like my like girl best friend, if you will. Um, and she's had a baby since I since the last time I saw her. So I got to see her and her husband who I love and, um, and their baby, I got to see their baby for the first time. So that was really nice. Um, and I mean, of course, like I, I talk about going home with my family and then I immediately start talking about all my friends. Like it was good to, you know, see my family and everything. But the, the thing that like is kind of, I don't want to say like annoying, but it's just kind of always like, like I always do a thing where I go home and then I like forget to like reach out to people to make plans. And and, like, my mom is the kind of person where she, like, works a lot. So whenever she's not working, she pretty much just, like, is the kind of person that just, like, watches TV a lot. And, like, I don't really like just, like, sitting around and watching TV. So, like, there was a, you know, a decent portion of my weekend where it was just, like, us sitting in the living room watching TV. And I was just like, man, did I pay $360 to fly home for this? Like, which makes me sound really rude and really ungrateful. And I realize that I sound like a huge jackass right now. But... I should have like made a better effort to like see if other people were around or see what was going on or maybe make like better plans with my mom or something. But, um, but I mean, all in all, it was good. Like nice to go home, see the family, see some friends I hadn't seen in a while. And it was just like a quick, you know, fly home two days, fly back. And now I'm back in New Orleans and I start work up in a couple days. And that is that. This brings up so many questions for me. Um, <laughs> In many, in many ways. Like, so one thing that I always, um, and, and I, I am interested by, and I know that probably I am the outlier on this. You are probably more the norm, but I'm guess. I mean, so like you just said, you went, you flew home for the holiday, right? And you just went by yourself and Patrick, I guess was working or he was doing something else. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's weird. I mean, so it's weird to me and I am aware that it is weird because I am weird or weird, <laughs> weird, at least in comparison to most people. But like, the fact that someone like you would go off by yourself to do that holiday thing is so strange to me because that is not how I live my life. And so it's weird when I hear of people and not just you, I'm not picking on you specifically, but like I hear tons of people do the same thing. Right. Where they're like, oh, yeah, uh, you know, like married friends will be like, oh, yeah, I went and saw somebody over here and then my husband did this thing or whatever. And it was it's weird to me that people do that on their own. And I don't say that to like sound like codependent or anything, but like. <laughs> Me and my wife, Gina, like, we spend, like, all of our time together, like, and we just, and that's the way we like it, like, we don't get sick of each other, like, I don't want to not spend time with her, and whenever we go on a trip, it's like we're always going on something together, like, when we go to see her family, I always go along, when I go on some trip to, like, a, you know, a comic convention or a game show, Gina always comes along, and when we were dating, I mean, we originally met, like, on the job, uh, which is how we met a while ago, and, like, at that time we would work together. And then once we started like being like a couple, like we worked together all the time. So we would be partners. So like I would, in my line of work, you usually work with a partner if you're doing a long job. And so like, we would always work together. It would always be like Brad and Gina would show up to everything like together all the time. And people thought we were crazy. They're like, Oh my God, I can't believe how could you even work 
with your fiance or your wife? Don't you get sick? I could never work with my husband. I can't believe you guys spend that much time together. And I'm like, why would you want to marry somebody that you don't want to spend time with? Like, why would you, you know, like, I mean, I get that people don't need to be joined at the hip or anything, but like, it's just, it's, it's, it's odd to me that people don't spend that much time together at all or that they would even do those things. So I guess, I guess I'm curious, like, and I realize that I'm the outlier. I said that already. I know I'm probably not the norm, but like with you and Patrick, I mean, I hear you guys say often that you guys go on separate trips and do separate stuff, but how much stuff do you do together and how much stuff do you do like apart, I guess? Like what is, what does your home life look like? <laughs> well, I mean, it just depends on the scenario. Cause like last year we did all of the holidays together. Like we literally went on like a road trip all the way from New Orleans up to the farthest point was Omaha, which was like 15 hours away and then back. Um, like we don't have a problem doing things with each other, but like this year, I think the big thing was just like, I, I mean, part of it was like money because whenever I was flying home, um, like the plane tickets that I booked were about $360 or so and he paid for them. So that was kind of like his Christmas present to me in a way. Like he was like, well, if you want to go home to see your family, like I'll pay for your your flights and everything and I was like okay well that's cool like that can be like Christmas and then like you don't have to do anything else like that'll just kind of be it for us um but like if he had wanted to fly home that would have been totally fine like but I don't think he would have wanted to pay like $900 you know for us or like $700 or whatever for us to fly home together um but that was kind of up to him like if he wanted to do it but he also had to go back to work like the day um the day after Christmas so and I flew home on I mean, I flew home on Friday and came back on Sunday. So, like, he could have gone if he would have wanted to. But, I mean, I just kind of, like, left that up to him, like, if he wanted to or not. And, um, but, I mean, like, we do, I mean, we do stuff together. I mean, maybe, like, I don't know if I give off the impression when I talk about our relationship on the show that we're just, like, never doing anything together. But, like, we, because I, I spend a lot of time, like, I go to work and I come home. And I don't really do, like, a whole lot. Like, I will pretty much just be home and then, like, he'll get home from work and then we, like, are at home together every night and if and you know we often like go to dinner together or go to like you know a little brewery and get like beer together or something um so i mean it it's just like it's just like it's like an either or like it doesn't really matter like we're not like i value the relationship i have with patrick because we're two like like very like independent people who just happen to be together like we're not the kind of people and i'm not like i'm not saying this like because I think you and Gina are like this. I'm just saying it in general that I, f- I sometimes get annoyed whenever there's couples that like can't do anything without the other person and they always have to be like holding hands and like just like, yeah, like, oh, we love each other so much. And it's just like, I like, I don't like, I get really annoyed like that. And I also get really annoyed whenever I know someone. I was just talking to Patrick about this last night. I, I, I also get really annoyed whenever. I'm like friends with someone who is single, who I like and who is interesting and who's like a cool person. And then they get in a relationship with somebody and then all of a sudden they either disappear off the planet because all they're doing is hanging out with their new girlfriend or boyfriend, or they can't do anything without including their girlfriend or boyfriend. Cause like Patrick and I are friends with one of his work friends and he's a really cool guy and I like him and we used to hang out a lot. And then he got a girlfriend and now it's like anytime Patrick is like, hey, do you want to do something? He'll be like, oh, well, I mean, I've been going out with my girlfriend a lot and I've been spending too much money, so I don't want to do anything. Or like if, and we like his girlfriend, so it's not like we're trying to like get him away from his girlfriend. Like we try to do like double dates and stuff, but like he'll always just like come up with an excuse about like how he'd rather like do something with his girlfriend or how like, you know, if we invite him to do something, like he wants to invite her, but like she can't go. So then like he doesn't want to go. And I'm like, come on, man. Like just because you're in a relationship with somebody doesn't mean that you're like suddenly like 
you you two have to do everything all the time and can't like ever split up from each other. So I mean, like with Patrick and I, it just it just depends. I mean, we do a lot of stuff together, but like the thought of one of us like flying home for a holiday or you know driving a couple hours away to go do something or whatever, because like he went to a wedding in October that was in Arkansas, so he like drove all the way up to Arkansas to go to this wedding, and like I didn't really want to go, and I think I ended up having something to do that weekend, like a work thing or something to where I couldn't go anyway, but like I wasn't really jazzed about it. So like, you know, we don't like expect the other person to do everything with us. And if they want to, like that's all, you know, well and good. And hey, you know, we're in it together and all that. But like, you know, I don't think Patrick would have ever been like, hey, I'm going to this wedding. I need you to go with me. Or like, I'm expecting you to go with me. It's more like, a, hey, if you want to go, great. But if not, like I'm perfectly capable of going on my own. Like if that makes sense. Sure, sure, sure. It's always interesting to see how different relationship dynamics like play out and how people just just people are. I mean, there's like, you know, there's there's a kind of person for every every kind of person out there and everybody is different. And there's so many different permutations of like a healthy relationship and how many different ways people like to be. I just think it's fascinating to see these different different, um, you know, just different types, different flavors of relationships. That's really fascinating. Thank you for um, answering my very personal and probing question. I appreciate it. <laughs> Along the same lines, let's keep going on this track because I want to know. I fucking hate the holidays, Corey. I don't know if you hate the holidays. I fucking hate the holidays. Um, number one, because my parents always just made it miserable. But also, I don't like getting out of my routine. And I'm, I'm really feeling it today, dude, uh, because I'm having like a really rough morning. I'm, I'm really, really rough morning because, you know, I'm doing the stay at home dad thing um, during the week. We've talked about this in the show. My wife just got a, a great uh, job. Well, I don't know if it's great, but I mean, <laughs> she probably would debate me on that. Uh, <laughs> she, she's having she's having a bit of a rough ride herself because people are stupid at her, her job. But anyway, that's here nor there. Uh, so I'm doing the stay at home dad thing, which is fine. But it's I'm also still doing my other job. Like I'm doing way less of it. Like it's not like I retired from it, but like still got a Wednesday thing that I do because uh, I just know the people really well and it would be really hard for them to replace me and I like working there, so that's fine. And uh, I still do stuff at nighttime, so whenever, like, an emergency pops up or if anybody needs, like, a real, you know, an assist or something, I'm usually around at nighttime. And so in addition to last week being weird because it was the holidays and so things were closed and then the family was home and so we were doing different things during the day and I wasn't doing my normal, like, housework routine... We, it was also really busy last week because we had a bunch of emergencies come in. And so, like, I think, like, for at least half the week, I mean, I was out on, <clears throat> excuse me, Christmas Eve. I was out on Christmas Day. I was out on, like, the next day after that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if I go out again tonight. So I don't, I didn't have my regular routine going. And today was just kind of, like, the culmination of all that where it's, like, I'm tired because I have not been getting my usual sleep routine in. I usually do, like, all the housework and uh, dishes and stuff in the morning, like, first thing, so then I can just, like, move on to other things for the rest of the day, and the house is still a fucking wreck right now. <laughs> I was supposed to get some vegetable soup in the crock pot, and I didn't get that done because I was busy doing something else, and I'm just like, oh, my God, like, I just, I'm dying, dude. I'm, like, drowning under, like, the, the irregularity of my schedule causing me chaos in my life, and I need structure, and I... I wasn't always that person, but with all the responsibility piled on top of me right now, like I really need that structure to function, which is another reason why I fucking hate the holidays because it just, everything goes out the window. Kind of the same thing for vacations. I know people, a lot of people I know really love vacations. They live their whole life for a vacation. They spend every day looking forward to their next vacation. I hate vacations because <laughs> it takes me away from my routine and I like my life, dude. I like what I'm doing. I like where I live. I like my daily routine. I like the things that I have in my life. 
love my wife. I love working at Game Critics. I love doing my thing. I love having my games. And so anything that removes me from that is like is unpleasant. I just don't want to do it. So I guess like where do you fall on the spectrum, dude? Are you like creature of habit? Are you a vacation lover, a hater? How was this holiday for you? Did you did it knock you out of your groove or were you fine to do this stuff? Like what was the holiday for you? Because for me it was miserable. Well, how was it for you? Uh, well, I mean, it's like, I don't know. I think that like my general take on life is, especially as of late, and I don't know if this is just me getting older or if it's me just like, I don't know, being like lazier or something, but like, I just like, there, there's so many things in the world that I just don't care about. And I can't bother to be like, riled up about or like moved about or whatever that I just like I, I just feel like part of it is me being kind of like cool headed but also I think a bigger factor of that is just me being like lazy so like whenever stuff happens it just happens like I don't really like you know if a holiday comes along and I have to do something like I just I'm just like okay here I'm doing this thing and you know like going home like there were like highs and lows of like flying home and flying back but like I don't know. I just like, I just like don't care, you know? And like, maybe I should, I feel like I should care more about things in life, but I also feel just like, okay about like not caring about a lot of stuff. And like, I don't like my, my feathers don't get ruffled very easily. Um, like I was at like a work meeting a while back, probably like about halfway through the year. And I remember like talking about something because we were at, we were doing like a little like retreat with our staff and I remember talking about something and they were like and because I don't really talk a lot at work like I don't if I'm in a work meeting I'm like the last person to speak up just because like I would rather listen and I also just like don't care enough about things to like talk about them and so like whenever I started talking about something there were like a couple people on the team that were like wow this is like the most I've ever seen you talk or be like passionate about something and like and I was like okay like that's cool and all but I don't know. So like, I mean, I don't really. It's cool I, and all, like, but I fuck just, you. Like, I just, like, I, well, I just like don't. I just like don't care about stuff. Like, and maybe I should care about more stuff, or maybe I actually care about stuff more than I think I do, and I just like don't show it. But like, so like whenever like holidays or like routine breaking stuff comes around, like like I just like roll with it. Like I just try to be very like, just like no, like very like realistic about stuff. Like okay, like maybe flying home is going to be kind of annoying because it's like twenty degrees colder there, and maybe flying back is going to be annoying because I have a two hour, two and a half hour layover at this airport or whatever. And it's just, but it's just like you know, I just know it's happening, and then I just kind of deal with it and then move on. And I try not to get too like too like frustrated about anything. And um, and that that's just like a big like. 2018 mood that I've been feeling is just being like really just like I don't care about what's going on around me as much which I don't know if that's a good or bad thing but I would rather I don't know if I'm like jaded in like life in general but like there's just so many I think what at the heart of this maybe is just like I, and like Twitter is like a big like proponent of this is that I'm so tired of like outrage culture and about people being like upset about everything. And I mean, there's plenty in the world to be upset about. Like, don't get me wrong. There is so much going on that is terrible that people should be mad about and you know, all, all of that stuff. But I'm just tired of really like dumb outrage culture and just like people, just like every time the smallest thing happens, just people like, you know, acting like it's a nuclear explosion and just like having, you know, causing a big deal about it. And I think my way of sort of like 
fighting back against that culturally is just by like not caring about anything. Like I just don't, I don't want to throw myself into the discourse because I just don't care enough. And if there's ever like discourse about something, I just don't, I would rather just not partake in any of it because there's this idea where like, if there's discourse about something, then suddenly everyone has to jump in because everyone has to have an opinion about everything. And when I see that happening, I'm just like, you know what? No thanks. Like, I will just go over here while all of you guys are over there fighting about this thing because I just don't, I don't care enough. Like, I don't care enough about what's going on over there. And I don't want to join this, like, you know, million people discourse about whatever the fuck's going on about some new movie on Netflix or about Batman versus Superman or about whatever the fuck's going on. Like, I just don't care. And I feel like that just translates a lot into my daily life. And, like, when getting back on the topic, I realize I've gone way off here. Um, you know, like, every I, – I know this is ridiculous. But, like, you know, everyday life versus, like, vacation life. Like, of course, like, I – I mean, I don't go on vacations often. Like, I mean, last year going home for Christmas – because, like, I wouldn't really call this year going home for Christmas a vacation. I mean, it was because I, like, flew out of town and I was able to spend time with my family. But when I think of a vacation, I think of, like, something that, like, kind of, like, going to a place with Patrick that we've, like, never been before. Like, coming to Seattle to see you and, you know, everybody that I know in Seattle, the two times I've been up there, like, those were, like, big vacations because we flew across the country. We got to visit a new place we'd never been before. And I really, I like vacations like that just because, like, my my daily routine like doesn't mean enough to me for it that if it's like unsettled or if it's rattled that like you know it's it doesn't really bother me but I also I'm not one of those people who like is constantly looking forward to vacations because like I would I, I feel like the way Patrick and I live our lives is we kind of just like I don't know if I'm just like kind of terrible at saving money and I know that like saving money is a big thing where people are like okay I want to save like x thousand dollars and then we can take this big vacation but I'm pretty lazy with money, so I just kind of, like, spend money on the stuff that I want whenever I want it, even though that's probably not a very good thing to do. So I'm, like, really bad at saving money. But, like, every year, Patrick and I say, like, oh, well, with tax return money, we're going to, like, take a big trip somewhere, and we're going to, like, do, like, a vacation or something. Because one of the things for us is I've—I don't know if I've said this on the show before, but I've never been out of the United States of America. So, like, we want to do, like, a big international trip somewhere at some point, and I think that— 2019 might actually be the year we do it because we got married. So like we kind of wanted to do like a honeymoon kind of thing because we didn't like do, I mean, well, like, I mean, this is like the epitome of the way I feel about life. Like we got married and didn't do anything about it. Like we both got, we're both married for the first time in our lives. And like, we didn't have a reception. We didn't have a wedding. We didn't have a honeymoon. We just like got married in our living room and then we moved on with our lives. Like that's just like how I feel about life. And so, you know, maybe we'll do some like international vacation in 2019 to kind of like serve as like okay we're finally going to do this thing and also like maybe this is sort of like our honeymoon but then of course we have to decide where we want to go and that's like a whole another discussion um i realize i've taken your question and gone in about 700 different directions and then tried to like rein it back in but those are my thoughts about everything about the universe as a whole so that's it. <laughs> <laughs> On a galactic scale, you've answered the yeah, question. Oh my god! I mean, yeah. I would counter that by saying I don't think that you don't care about anything because I've never really known you to be like an apathetic person or somebody who's like disassociated from life. But I think that maybe you just care about different things. You know, like maybe you're not caught up in the day to day of you know maybe like on Twitter or social media or something. But I think that you probably care about other things and maybe those things you know, like, you know, you're at work and you're just rolling with the punches at work and it's no big deal because you're not like super like 
spiritually involved at work and you don't maybe derive your personal <laughs> value as a person from work. But, you know, if we were to talk about stuff that you really do care about, like you get very passionate about certain games or if we were to talk about photography or something like that, I bet, you know, you would start to care about some of that stuff. Because I've never I've never known you to be like a cold robot or anything. I think you just have different priorities, which is totally makes perfect sense. You know, like, I mean, if you don't have the same kind of responsibilities that I do and, you know, and you don't, I mean, we're different people in that way. I mean, my life, I'm sure my day to day home life is much different than yours. And so of course it makes sense that you would have different, um, you know, pressures or different things that you respond to than I do. So, I mean, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. But, oh man, I got to tell you, I just, oh, I'm really looking forward to getting back to normal life. And it's unfortunate because, um, I'm only going to have one month of quote unquote normal life in January. And then in February, I'm going to start probably uh, a really big project, you know, doing Romeo and Juliet. I think I mentioned that before. Oh yeah. Yeah. So like the entire month is going to be chaos. And I got to say like the closer I get to it, the kind of, I kind of wish I hadn't taken it because I'm like, Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I love working with those people. Like it's so fun to do. It's like one of my favorite things in the world to do in terms of work. Like it's just pure enjoyment and everybody there is awesome. And it's a fun experience and it's really unique and you get to do something out of the, out of the norm. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm not going to get any laundry done. I'm never going to cook dinner at home. Place is going to be a mess. And what am I going to do? And like, oh, so like conflicting, conflicting emotions there. But anyway, I'm already committed to it. Signed the contract. It's all it's a done deal. So <laughs> anyway, that <clears throat> has been a very wild and woolly banter section. We should probably move on to games. I feel like we could probably talk for another hour or so, but I don't think that either one of us has that much time. Are you... Uh, are you okay putting a temporary lid on this and moving on to games? Uh, yes, because I care so little about everything in the universe that we can just move right ah, Corey's just rolling with it. He's rolling with it. He just doesn't <laughs> care. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's put a pin in it uh, for now. We'll come back to this. I feel like there's a lot more we can talk about. I mean, I seriously feel like we could just make some coffee and just like sit down and we could, like, we'll be here all day. But we don't have that time. Uh, all right, let's move on to games uh, and let's get that knocked out. And here we go. Sound good? Sounds good. All right, let's talk about some games.